Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Sports Animals on the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman here in my house and downtown in our PAXA studios. Tanner Hayworth is there. I know I can't see Tanner right now, but I know that he and I both have smiles on our faces right now. And it's not only because Chris isn't here. I'm just joking about that. Chris is off today. He'll be with us back on Tuesday after Labor Day. But we both have smiles for a few reasons, mainly all based around football, more specifically college football, and even to be more specific, UH football, another game tomorrow. We've been talking almost all week about the Vanderbilt game. We did talk about Western Kentucky, and we had their head coach Tyson Helton on earlier this week. But yesterday with the college football games that started with week one and some really big games that we'll get into, leading into a few games today that should be entertaining. And, of course, tomorrow the final game of the day is Hawaii hosting Western Kentucky, hoping to get their first win of the season. It's just great to have football back with the amount of games we are having right now and so many exciting ones yesterday and Hopefully an exciting one tomorrow. I know Western Kentucky is the overwhelming favorite. Vanderbilt was a favorite, went up to about nine, nine and a half by Friday afternoon and last week. Uh, Western Kentucky, I think, started at about 14 and is now at 16. Uh, we had a guest on yesterday, Sean Green, from the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, and he said go with Hawaii. So uh, we're banking on that and uh, hoping that only do they cover, but we also, and more importantly, want to have a win for Hawaii. So we'll talk a lot about that coming up in a second. I, I just want to remind everybody, I'm not sure if you saw our Twitter page, but coming up at 7.35 today, among our great lineup of guests, Yes, Jocelyn Alo will be joining us. It's going to be great having her on the show, the GOAT of college softball, and she is going to be doing a meet and greet for uh, Monday on Labor Day at Sports Stand in Waipahu. So she'll join us coming up in about an hour and a half. Later on today, we've got UH football tickets to give out for tomorrow, and we'll have a very simple trivia question for that. Also today, we've got UH Wahine volleyball tickets for tonight as they go up. Uh, against West Virginia Sunday at 5 p.m., an earlier start with the holiday weekend, especially against UCLA, which seems to happen almost every year on Labor Day weekend in a normal year. So stay, stu- stay tuned for that. we got a lot to give away, a lot to go over, mostly involving football, of course, some softball and some uh, NBA talk where some fans weren't happy with that big trade yesterday, including myself. But Tanner Hayworth, as I mentioned in our downtown Paxa studios, we're both excited about UH football. And I thought we would try something, probably going to do this every Friday now for the rest of the season, uh, what we're looking for for the following day's University of Hawaii game. And I'll go first for tomorrow what I'm looking for. And there's a lot to look for every week, depending on the previous week, maybe on injuries as well. 
it's it's going to be an obvious take, but I think it's more fitting because of what took place last week or maybe what didn't. I'm looking for improved quarterback play, regardless of who plays. And I actually also have a thought that I or more than a thought. I'm hoping that Cam Cooper does get an opportunity, at least an opportunity to play. But when you're throwing about 50% completion percentage, it's got to be higher. And I know some of them were drops. I don't think it was that high of a number because you're going to have drops every game. There weren't, to me, a lot. Uh, they, they didn't have any turnovers. They didn't have the fumbles. They didn't have any interceptions, both uh, Braden Shager and Joey Yellen. But I want to see improved quarterback play. That's where it starts for me. I'm not sure where Tanner is on that, but that's the first thing I want to see for tomorrow's game. Yeah, and then, Gary, I think the one thing that I want to see the most, it's kind of very similar to what you are talking about in quarterback play. I want to see better execution, not only from the quarterbacks. You know, we don't want to see any of those freak fumbles that we saw from Dedrick Parson. I think the offensive line did good. Um, I think Austin Hopp just had the right tackle. Had like one rough, uh, one rough set where he did get immediately pushed back into Joey Yellen. So there's one thing to look at. There's that. You know, just looking at that defense, don't miss tackles. I feel like yes. that's a very, you know, forehead thing to say. Like, just don't do that. Just tackle the guy. But um, there's a lot of stuff that happens. It's week zero. You're getting the rust out of you. You're probably not going to have your best mechanics straight out of the gate. So as the year goes on, I'm expecting to see better tackling, uh, staying on your guy. I think Western Kentucky is a really great opponent to have after that Vanderbilt game because – this is a team that's coming off a 11-point win over an FCS team. We have been slightly hyping up their quarterback, Austin Reed, as this really great quarterback because he is a pretty good quarterback. But right. he, too, also had some interesting decision-making in that game last week. So hopefully Jake, uh, Jacob Yoro and that defense can take advantage of that as they are also dealing with you know a lot of similar issues that we did with, with big players transferring or graduating, or uh, also the turnover of offensive staff. So, right, yeah, right. execution is what I want to see, and kind of taking advantage of those big plays that will hopefully bounce our way uh, on Saturday. Yeah, the, the, you started with your comments about the missed tackling. That would be probably number two on my list, and that's something that, that I was disappointing. I mean, it's always disappointing, of course, but it's something that, on this level shouldn't be something they need to be taught or have to practice over. I mean, if it's, you know, a series or two or a play or two here and there where they're just out of position, but when it's happening happening, kind of as constantly as it did last week, that, that was kind of disappointing. And you can say, well, they can improve on that. It's correctable and it's fixable and all that, and it is. I don't think it should have been as poor as it was. And maybe, you know, partly because Vanderbilt just had better athletes. Some were bigger, faster. And I know Timmy Chang on Call the Coach on Wednesday night did point out something as far as the rushing attack for Vanderbilt, more specifically um, um, right the quarterback, is that their offensive line did a really good job of blocking, uh, pinning some of the defenders, and just giving them the room to operate. That's not a real excuse, but that's kind of the reality of it. Western Kentucky, again, not the same name. They're in Conference USA, not a big name like Vanderbilt might have been as far as a big conference, but they they are successful nine and five last year. Played for the conference champion uh, conference championship, uh, and they've got some size. You look at 
their offensive line, I mean, you got 6'3", 100, 6'3", 6'4", 6'2", and then 6'6", 305. And remember, Vanderbilt averaged 6'6", on their O-line. Western Kentucky has two of their starters at 6'6". So that says a little something about them. Also, and I didn't realize this until earlier, but they started started five receivers in an empty backfield last week. Now, they went to a running game a little bit later, of course, but we've been hearing all week how they don't run that much. It'll be the opposite of Vanderbilt. Uh, we hope and pretty, I hope, really confident that they won't run for anywhere near the 400-plus yards that Vanderbilt did last week. But partly with part of that reason is hopefully Hawaii will be improved. The other part is that they just don't run as much. They're going to have that passing attack, and we'll see how that plays out. And uh, there's going to be a different type of offense, that's for sure, but they still have some size, and hopefully Hawaii will be up to the task. I, I, I know, again, on paper, Western Kentucky is the better team. I really want to see some improvement, and maybe with the coaching as well. I'm not blaming Timmy at all. I just think when you had 10 men on the field twice, that's something that's kind of inexcusable. It can happen, though. You know, it happens to maybe the best. It was also week zero. So yeah. People yeah. are still learning right, the formations right. that they're a part of, and hopefully it'll get better ingrained in their heads as the year goes on. And, you know, you were talking about the size of that offensive line. Do you have the depth chart uh, open? Yes. Uh, what years are those offensive linemen? Okay, the the offensive linemen, the six six three hundred sophomore. That is Mark Good. Sophomore. Uh, Quantavius Leslie, the left guard, three ten. He's a sophomore. Sophomore. Center is a junior named Rusty Stats, a six four three ten junior. Right. Here's another sophomore for you, Tanner. I guess right. I can see where you're going. Vincent Murphy at six two three zero five, and the uh, elder statesman is the lone junior, and that is the right tackle, Gunner Britton, six six three zero five. So no seniors right. and a very young team. So that was kind of like Vanderbilt too. They were inexperienced on the O line. True, they were experienced inexperienced on the offensive line. But I, we saw, if you watched the game last week against Austin P, there were a couple of mistakes by that offensive line that was, you know, doing an okay job against an FCS school. I think what I like to see is some more of those young guys because we do have a couple of older guys in our defensive line, whether it be Blessman, uh, Matteo Soli, who's the senior coming out of Arkansas. Right. Uh, Gerald, uh, Jonah Kahavai Welsh, sorry. I've been hanging around the brotherhood too much, I guess, a little <laughs> bit there. But uh, I think we have a lot of guys on that defense that can take advantage of these young guys. And like you mentioned, they probably won't run the ball as much as they are more of a typical, not really air raid system, but it's kind of similar to that because, as we all know, if you watch Western Kentucky last year, they sure did like to throw the ball. Yes. But if you also watch Kentucky from last year, you would have also known that Bailey Zappi, uh, their number one receiver, and their offensive coordinator all came from the exact same school a year prior. So with Bailey Zappi, you, this is the whole thing with college football and college quarterbacks. System quarterbacks do very well in the NCAA. We would know that very much as a you know run and shoot. We were very sure. much some of the more gimmicky, I won't say a gimmicky offense, but a lot of people would consider the run and shoot or the air raid as gimmick offenses in college football. When you're a system quarterback and you follow your offensive coordinator, you're probably going to know the system very well. And it's just as much as teaching the offensive line a couple of schemes and you're pretty much set to go. So I think with Western Kentucky, they're obviously not going to be the number two offense in the FBS. 
like they were last year. I think they'll still be pretty good, but I do think that there could be a chance, and I'm not trying to like overhype this team like how you know I probably did before the Vanderbilt game, but I think this is going to be a good test because you're going to be getting Hawaii who now feels that, you know, they need to prove they need to prove something because you talk about the mistackling and, you know, yeah, of course it's something you can work on. It's something that the linebackers were working on all week from all the reports that I got from the people that I've talked with. They had the donuts out there, you know, that donut uh, right. foam where they go out and tackle. And I was talking with another um, person that was uh, following the team, and they brought up something that, you know, if you look at June Jones's teams in the 2000s, they also never started out very good on defense, missing tackles, not necessarily, you know, coming out the gate very strong season-wise. So I think when hearing that, it definitely feels a little more comforting that we are a brand new team. We are starting out cold. We started out against a Power 5 SEC program that was had the number 32 recruiting class in the nation last year. Of course, that's probably something that you never hear about Vanderbilt, no. that they do have almost a top 30 recruiting class. So this is a improved Vanderbilt team that, sure, lost to an FCS last season, but that is now a staff that has been there for longer than a year. Mike Wright, who's probably one of the better athletes in the SEC as a quarterback. So I think there's a lot to take from last week, but I think like what Timmy said on Monday, I think in press conferences, that's when you have to turn on your short-term memory. That's when you have to forget last week. Talk about that on call the coach. Yeah, on call the coach as well, sorry. And that's where you learn from your mistakes and you forget about it and you start your preparation for set for next Saturday. And I'm excited for the 6 p.m. start for the against the Hilltoppers tomorrow. Yeah, you know, when we talk about – you mentioned something at the top also, like you want to see a win. And, of course, we all want to see a win. To me, I mean, again, that's the priority in any game. You want to come out with a victory. There could be some moral victories, some little victories. If they do lose tomorrow, and I hope, again, that's not the case, but if they do lose – but it's a, a way shorter margin than it was last week, and it'd be pretty hard to have the same margin. That would be pretty uh, upsetting, I understand. Uh, but if, if they lose by a score or two, I mean, I, again, that's still a significant loss, you could say. But if they show improvement in certain areas, if the quarterback play is better, if the defense plays better, if they're not, you know, causing turnovers, turning them into quick touchdowns like those two fumbles, scooping scores were, I, I, I would come out with that feeling pretty good or better about the team knowing that they've shown improvement. I'm not talking about the opponent and how better or not as good or whatever. It's more so that Hawaii showed that they made adjustments from last week and showed improvement. And maybe that is something we can continue to look forward to. Again, I I know I'm going to say this for the next week. Michigan, you can kind of throw that out. But in the other ways you're looking at the schedule, and I know Duquesne should be a you know, fairly easy opponent if there is such a thing the week after. Uh, hopefully they can do that, though, and that's what I'm really looking for tomorrow as well, to make sure they're, they they stay in the game. And I think that third quarter was something that I, I don't think any of us expected and really got away from them quickly, and it was almost like the perfect storm, 35 nothing. But I'm hoping they can at least show improvement if they aren't going to win. And, uh, you know, we don't know a ton about Western Kentucky in that they beat an FCS opponent 
by only 11, which may be significant, probably not for an FCS school. For I don't I think Western Kentucky is better than that margin of victory. I think Hawaii will be better than the margin of defeat from last week as well. So we will find out, and I'm going to get your thoughts if you want to call or text at 808-296-1420. could talk a lot more UH football throughout the morning. Mark Fenneri will join us in the 8 o'clock hour to give us his insight of last week and what's ahead tomorrow as well. Uh, this hour, we're going to have some baseball talk at the bottom of the hour with Gabe Lax from the USA Today Sports Department. Coming up in about three or four minutes after this break, we're going to catch up with the Miami Dolphins, of course, and Travis Wingfield, uh, part of the Drive Time podcast for the Miami Dolphins, will join us next talking Dolphins football and a little Tua Tonga Vailoa with the Sports Animals on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Last night I dreamt I was returning And my heart called out to you And we're going to continue with a lot of football talk. NFL will start officially in six days with a Thursday night opener, and then it's the first Sunday coming up in nine days of the regular season. We're going to talk about one of Hawaii's favorite teams, the Miami Dolphins, as we are joined on ESPN Honolulu with the host of the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, also a writer at MiamiDolphins.com. Travis Wingfield back, back with us on the show. Travis, thanks for joining us today, and I know a lot of Hawaii fans were happy to hear about Tua Tonga-Vailoa being named the captain the other day. Absolutely, as was the entirety of South Florida and, and kind of hoping to get this uh, this guy that's got all the talent in the world. He's one of the best people you'll find in this league and hopefully try to get that narrative to match uh, the type of person that he is and the skill set that he offers. I think we're heading that direction, Gary. How did he look, in your opinion, Travis, in the preseason games that he played? He was fantastic. I thought the biggest thing that I, that I took away was the fact that he really seemed to correct some of the issues that plagued him a season ago. And what that, to me, was was under you know certain pressure looks, he'd get off the spot, move to a new area of the pocket, and before he would throw the ball, he wouldn't really get his mechanics set in the line. And he would also sometimes have some issues finding the check down. But now I see a guy that knows the offense in and out, can get to that second, third, fourth read, and then gets the mechanics and everything aligned in his body to go to that third and fourth read all at the same time. So I think that he's processing really quickly. He's throwing very accurately, and he has complete command of this offense right now. I know there's going to be comparisons about how Tua throws with Tyreek Hill compared to what Patrick Mahomes had with Tyreek Hill, which was obviously exceptional over those years there in Kansas City. Can he come close to that? I mean, I'm not trying to compare them, obviously, but could they have that level of success or anything close to that to really elevate this team to the next level? I think Tyreek did just as much for Patrick Mahomes as Patrick Mahomes did for Tyreek Hill. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, like you mentioned, you know, the comparison, we, we know who the more accomplished and more proven quarterback is at this stage of their career. It's, it's clearly Patrick Mahomes. But I think that there's a misconception about what Hill did so exceptionally well in Kansas City those, you know, plays where Mahomes breaks the pocket and Tyreek winds up scrambling around downfield, those get the highlight reels, but those are, you know, two, three, four plays a season. Like, they're not that many out of the whole, you know, the thousand-play package you're going to have over 17 games. And so I think that where Tyreek really shined is his polish and his route running and the suddenness to create separation, which you pair that with this play-action-heavy offense where, you know, you've got defenders' eyes going all over the place because of all the misdirection. I think it really helps to uh, open up those short intermediate windows where he's deadly accurate, and that's where Tyreek can catch the ball and take off. I think it's a really good fit down here in Miami. 
You can follow Travis Wingfield on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. He joins us on ESPN Honolulu from the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, the Drive Time Podcast, and also from MiamiDolphins.com. And uh, I think not enough is being said really about Cedric Wilson. I just think a great compliment there. And when you got Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, you got Kasiki at the tight end. I think Cedric Wilson is another important factor for this team. 100%. He's one of the top yak guys in the league, too, which you know that Mike McDaniel and Tua have talked about how important it is in this offense. And I like the fact that he gives them size that can line up both inside and outside, kind of in the same way that Mike Kosicki and Eric Ezukama and a little bit of Trent Sherfield there as well, because when you get those you know burners with Tyreek and Jalen outside, all of a sudden you get some one-on-one matchups with you know linebackers, safeties, maybe a nickel cornerback, and Cedric Wilson on those interior you know slot stages or uh, inside deep shots, that's where Tua really shines over the last couple of years, and that's where Cedric Wilson shines, too. So there was, there was real intent this offseason to get guys that can maximize Tua's skill set. I'm glad you mentioned Cedric Wilson because he's one of them. I want to mention another guy that's not a household name, and we know that Tua is a starter, Teddy Bridgewater the backup, but Skylar Thompson uh, in the preseason had really outstanding numbers overall. I know it was preseason, and I know Mike McDaniel said it was they really wanted to keep him. I don't have the exact quote, but I know they really wanted to keep him on the roster. I'm glad he has a spot with the Miami Dolphins. It was really funny at the press conference with him and Chris Greer, with, uh, with Mike McDaniel and Chris Greer, when they were asked about that and, uh, Greer had mentioned other teams called and said, if you let that guy go, you'd be pretty stupid. And then Mike McDaniel's response was, we're not in the business of being stupid, which <laughs> is a very a very Mike McDaniel quote, right? You're always going to find his joke before he gives you uh, what was the equivalent of football gold, in my opinion. But, yeah, you mentioned uh, the preseason action. I mean, it's, it's funny because the coverage of, of Tua, if he has a bad throw in practice, it, it gets, you know, 7 million views on social media. But right. Skyler had his ups and downs, but he, you saw when the lights came on, he certainly was – the best rookie quarterback in the preseason this year, live arm. He really makes good decisions. He gets off that spot and can scramble around a little bit. It's a good – there's no such thing as having too many quarterbacks not being a problem. It's just a good thing for the Dolphins that maybe you found, at worst, a backup quarterback in the seventh round. That's a great thing that any team in the league would take right now. I thought another good pickup for Miami just a few days ago, I believe, was Trey Flowers, the linebacker that they have now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really impressive, especially when you – consider his fit in this system. I, I, you know, the one year in 2021 that he wasn't in, you know, a Bill Belichick, Brian Flores, Josh Boyer, uh, Matt Patricia, all those same system type of guys. The one year he's not in that system is the one year where he doesn't play up to his normal standard, which is high efficiency run stuffer and a very, very productive pass rusher. And you might be able to just put him out there for three, 400 snaps because you have, Jalen Phillips, who I think is going to go off this year. Andrew Van Ginkle, who looks better every single year. Melvin Ingram, who's a stud in this league. Emmanuel Ogba, who's had you know two really good years here in Miami. And then Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer can play defensive end, too. So you have a, just a bevy of guys who can play that position. And Trey Flowers' length and his ability to kind of play that two-gap system, he's a really good fit down here, and I expect him to have a big impact on the defense. Travis Wingfield talking Miami Dolphins football. He's the host of the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, also with MiamiDolphins.com with the animals on ESPN, Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. I was talking the other day on the show about maybe a team that is going to be a surprise team in the NFL, and without trying to be a homer because of Tua being on the team, I think the Dolphins could be that team. They've been on the cusp of the playoffs the last two years. I know it's a new coaching staff, but with the pickups that they've got, we talked about the receivers, an offensive line now is that is much better. Are they a team that you see going to the playoffs this season? 
you know, I'm glad you mentioned the homer aspect, Gary, because I, <laughs> last year I was pretty bullish on this team, and a big reason for that was I thought that Will Fuller's impact mm. would, you know, him and him and Waddle would have this kind of impact as far as creating space for other guys and making big plays on offense. And then Will Fuller never saw a single snap with Tua and only had, I think, like four catches total on the season. Well, now you have Tyreek Hill in that position. And last year's, you know, one and seven start certainly kind of put a shot across my bow in terms of my confidence with picking the team to do well. And so I've kind of gone into this season a little bit cautiously, which maybe is a good idea. But as we go further along, I'm like, I just don't see how this team is not really good this year. So they're, they're my pick, too. I think 12 wins is certainly within the possibility, uh, the rumble possibilities. And I would be surprised if they're not a playoff team this year. What are their main concerns? What are the biggest challenges as they get ready for the season opener? You know, I think you always go back to the offensive line. They obviously mm. add uh, Teron Armstead and Connor Williams, but it's, it's going to be incumbent upon, you know, Liam Eikenberg, Austin Jackson, uh, to really take that next step in their career and get them solidified across the offensive line. And then the cornerback depth, I think, because of the injuries you've accrued, accrued over the preseason. I think Byron Jones being out the first four weeks is kind of a surprise. He's in the PUP. And then you lost Trill Williams and Mackenzie Alexander this season, too. So hopefully uh, Noah Igbenogany can really kind of, you know, justify that first-round draft pick a couple of years ago because it's time for him to get up, up to speed and get going. So I would say cornerback and offensive line if you have to take two areas. Okay, well, I know when, since two has been there, they're undefeated against New England. At least he is as a starting quarterback. Hopefully that will continue starting next weekend. Travis, thanks again for joining us, Talking Dolphins Football. Hope to do it again a few times this season. Absolutely. Let me know when you want to do it, and I'll, uh, I'll jump back on with you guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate him coming on. Travis Wingfield, again, he's the host of the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, and also a writer at MiamiDolphins.com. And I do think uh, that they could be a team that could make the playoffs, maybe kind of a sleeper or a surprise team, however you want to label them. Time will definitely tell. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll get you caught up with traffic again, and then we will talk some Major League Baseball. Uh, Gabe Lax from the USA Today Sports Department will join us next. The Animals here on the Bobby Curran Show, ESP. Honolulu. That song might be familiar to some of you. I know it's familiar to our next guest, Gary Dickman, here with Tanner Hayworth, Sports Animals for Bobby Curran, and that is an intro song for Edwin Diaz of the New York Mets. Narco is a song by Timmy Trumpet. It was there live at uh, City Field the other night. I can't get enough of that song. I'm not sure how our next guest feels about it. We're going to talk MLB and intro music with Gabe Lax, who covers baseball for the USA Today Sports Department. Gabe, thanks for joining us. Your thoughts on the Narco intro song for Diaz. Uh, it makes me want to run through a wall. <laughs> I, uh, you know, probably the best, uh, the best intro we've seen, uh, you know, I mean, inner Sandman was such a thing with Mariano Rivera for so many years, but it's just so good. And, uh, I'm so glad it's caught on in this way. And Timmy Trumpet was such a sport about it coming out twice this week uh, to do it live for the Mets. 
Yeah, I love that. I've watched that video over and over. And uh, Tanner and I were talking earlier. We can't get it out of our head now. And uh, we'll see if maybe other sports teams will pick it up. Uh, nobody else can use that in baseball as Diaz is right now. And just to continue with Edwin Diaz, what a year he has had. Probably the best closer in baseball right now. He's going to be a free agent. Some people said he might get $100 million. I know he's not going to win the Cy Young Award. Do you think a guy like he with the season he's having should be at least considered with what he's done for the Mets? Yeah, you can you can never count out a relief pitcher. I just think it, it has to be uh, you know kind of a a really outstanding year as a reliever, and also kind of a down year for starting pitchers. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's always a little bit of a tricky uh, tricky calculus, if you will. Uh, you look back to 1989 and Mark Davis won the Cy Young in the National League as the Padres closer. Uh, you go back and kind of relitigate that a bit. You'll see a lot of guys that could have won the Cy Young that year that didn't, uh, including Oral Hershiser <laughs> among, among oh, other people. I was just looking, sure. this up, just looking this up the other day. Yeah, so you want to kill a minute, look up 89 Cy Young Award voting and, and look at the runner-ups. So I tend to lean away from relievers for Cy Young Awards, but uh, undeniable to uh, to mention what, uh, what Edwin Diaz was meant to the Mets this year. One more Met pitcher I want to talk about. He's not going to win the Cy Young, but he's won him before, and it is Jacob DeGrom. In fact, when he won him, I think he only had like 10, 11 wins both of those years, but a great ERA. He's been pitching really well since coming off basically a year off with the arm problems, 4-1, and one, about a 1.98 ERA. Your thoughts on how DeGrom has looked so, uh, coming, so early coming back from the injury, and will the Mets be able to pay him to stay? Supposedly he wants $50 million next year to come back. Yeah, it's really interesting to see. You know, it's <laughs> funny you mentioned that. Uh, got a camera shot of him and Max Scherzer kind of chuckling on the, uh, you know, on the railing yesterday. And you do kind of wonder what they're talking about. Are they talking about uh, the season, the game, uh, or maybe Scherzer's giving him some advice on how to break his own record for average annual value, $43 million. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, it's tougher. It's going to be tough for the Mets to argue that DeGrom doesn't deserve close to or a dollar more than what Scherzer gets, you know. So that's uh, that's an interesting floor to set, in addition to the fact that, uh, that obviously the, the market's going to be wide open for him. So not, I'm not uh, willing to, to set any limits on what DeGrom might get, but also not really – it's tough to predict right now because he does need to come through the year healthy. Uh, that being said, absolutely looks phenomenal right now. And, uh, you know, you <laughs> – Hundred mile an hour fastball gets up to you know 101, 102 depending on the on the gun. Uh, you throw in that slider and it's just uh, thoroughly unhittable. And uh, you know 55 strikeouts in 36 innings. He's clearly back uh, from a stuff standpoint. Uh, worked deeper into the game yesterday. Can he give them seven innings in the playoffs? It's starting to look that way. So it's uh, it's lining up really nicely for the Mets and uh, they managed to take two or three from the Dodgers, which is uh, getting a huge, uh, you know, kind of uh, bump out of the road uh, in the, the remainder of their schedule. Yeah, it's the first time they've done that in a really long time, taking a series from, I think, since 2011, if I'm not mistaken. You can check out Gabe Lacks on Twitter, at Gabe Lacks, L-A-C-Q-U-E-S. He's with the USA Today Sports, joining us here on ESPN Honolulu. I want to get your thoughts on the other New York team before we move out west. The Yankees had a really tough August, I believe the worst in Major League Baseball. The lead is only down, down to six games against Tampa Bay, who they play on the road this weekend. No Anthony Rizzo. Will the Yankees? hang on in the AL East? 
I think so. And it's, uh, it's kind of fortuitous timing, uh, the, the injury to uh, Shane McClanahan of the Rays, uh, who has a shoulder impingement, but it's not as, as worrisome as they thought. But that being said, uh, you know, really, uh, really pretty key that uh, that he'll be out through this Yankee series and might miss a couple starts down the uh, down the line. I, I think the Rays will be fine for the playoffs, but we're still talking six games. That's a pretty fair amount to make up, and we're still talking a, a really good Yankee team despite its troubles. Uh, so I I don't think it's going to get too nerve wracking. I mean, maybe maybe the Rays sniff close to three games, uh, you know, close to within three games, but I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll get any further than that just because uh, the Yankees are just so talented. And, uh, you know, tonight will be a big one because uh, they've needed Domingo German, and uh, he's been really good, and they need him to continue to be good, especially if uh, Jamison Tyone might need to miss a start. Uh, Luis Severino starts a rehab assignment today, uh, but his on-ramp is turning a little more closer to being playoff ready. I mean, maybe he can help him down the stretch. Uh, but that's obviously a, a huge piece they need to get back. Obviously, Frankie Montes has got to pitch better. Uh, yeah. Just uh, <laughs> not that that's been a huge disappointment for them. So I think they hang on. I think it will get intriguing, but not too interesting. That may change if the Rays somehow sweep them this weekend. Everybody, they say, loves an underdog, and I don't think the Baltimore Orioles are the same underdog, but this is a team that's basically lost like 100 games in a, a year, like the last three years or so. They're going to looking like they're going to finish over 500, only a game and a half out of the wild card. Do they have a chance to sneak in? I think they will. Uh, I, I think they're pitching the ball really well right now. Uh, really interesting to see guys like uh, – uh, you know, Dean Kramer pitches tonight. Uh, Kyle Bradish is back from an injury. Spencer Watkins, you know, guys that, that they kind of like close their eyes and hope for the best in the early part of the year are now consistently going six, seven innings. Uh, and that's, that's really fed into their formula where you get an early home run or two, uh, you get five or six competent innings from your starter, and then you have you know, what's been one of the best bullpens in baseball to hand it over to. So a big four-game set with Toronto beginning Monday. There's a Labor Day doubleheader at Camden Yard. That's going to go a really long way toward determining a lot. And uh, if we look at at the Orioles taking three or four from that series, then suddenly you've you've kind of flipped the dynamic uh, (laughs) for that final wild card and set them up for the the final month. Uh, uh, Before that, they get three with the A's. So... Uh, if they sweep the A's this weekend, you know that they're really meaning business and, and really taking care of business heading into uh, yeah, what's going to be a really challenging December stre- or September stretch. Speaking of the final wild card in the National League, it's really down to Milwaukee and Philadelphia. I think the Giants, unfortunately, with a seven-game losing streak, have played themselves out of that spot for now at least. But Milwaukee and Philly, Philly's in the spot right now, Milwaukee right behind them. Who do you think gets that final spot? Yeah, and I would not uh, put it past the Padres to wither it away yet either. They're not exactly <laughs> home free. <laughs> True. So, uh, yeah, I uh, I think it's going to come down to San Diego and Milwaukee, and uh, and that's that's going to be interesting. Can the can the Padres get good enough pitching down the stretch? They've gotten some good outings from Blake Mitch, uh, Blake Snell uh, in recent days. Uh, you know, and, and can Sean Manea kind of find it down the stretch? Uh, you know, Mike Clevenger, not particularly reliable. So that's made things really interesting. Uh, one guy to, to watch uh, for the Brewers, Garrett Mitchell, rookie, uh, 2020 draft pick out of UCLA. Uh, and he's given them a nice little uh, a nice little bit of energy so far, uh, you know, kind of shaking things up in the lineup just a little bit. 
uh, getting on base, showing some power, driving in some runs. Uh, if nothing else, uh, shaking up a, a really stagnant offense, and that's uh, that's definitely something they need. But I, I, I still uh, I still think the Brewers are right there in it if they can just scrap together some runs, get some length from their starters. Gay Black covering Major League Baseball for the USA Today Sports, joining us here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 14.20 AM. Would it be safe to say at this point that Juan Soto has been a little disappointing with San Diego? I believe he's got two home runs and a grand slam against Kansas City, I believe, last week. But And it's not only him that they've been struggling with. Obviously, you don't have to tease. But has that trade exactly worked out so far for the Padres? Yeah, you know, barely even even less than a month in a lot of ways. Uh, so it's it's definitely a, a jury is out kind of situation. But uh, yeah, the, the same thing is happening there that's that's happening in Washington, and which is the dude is not getting very many uh, pitches to hit. He has a four thirteen on base percentage with the Padres. Wow, yeah, you'll, you'll take that every every day. Yeah, it's kind of wild. His OPS is still eight forty, uh, three home runs. So. Uh, not the not what you'd expect. Obviously, he's not a twenty home run hitter. He's more like a thirty thirty five home run hitter. Uh, so yeah, I uh, it's it's tough to yeah tough to just pl- plug and play and go. I mean, sometimes a guy can just absolutely take over, but uh, it's a little tricky when he's pitched to so carefully. That being said, he does enjoy a lot of lineup protection uh, in San Diego, uh, especially if, if Brandon Drury kind of keeps it going for them a little bit with with some of the power that he's shown, but. Uh, you know, it's it was supposed to be this uh, this wonderful trio of uh, you know Soto, Machado, Tatis, and now we're down to two. So it's obviously going to be on on Juan and Manny to kind of carry these guys uh, down the stretch. And uh, yeah, I don't uh, don't definitely discount that from happening. But uh, you know, Soto will get his home runs. But uh, the the OVP is a really good sign that he's still doing the right things at the plate, even if he's not getting the pitches to hit. Well, that is encouraging his on-base percentage and the playoffs. Everybody starts anew starting in about a month from now. Can't wait for that to take place. Gabe, thanks again for talking Major League Baseball with us. We always enjoy it, and hopefully we can do it again come playoff time. Okay, sounds good. We'll look forward to it. All right, thank you so much. Gabe Black from USA Today Sports joining us here on ESPN Honolulu. I'm curious what people think of that song, by the way, uh, the Narco song. And uh, I can't get that in my head, Tanner, as well. And it really did go viral when Timmy Trumpet from Australia was at the Mets game the other night. And uh, uh, I love the walk the walk in, walk in, out music from a guy in the bullpen. There's actually a video of that from not this week, but when uh, Diaz – Came, he was in the bullpen, walking slowly out, and it was in black and white. And as soon as he gets out of the bullpen onto the outfield warning track, then it's in color. And then the music starts. It was really well done. I don't even know who put it together, but another cool video I saw on YouTube. Uh, we've got a lot more to cover, Tanner and I. we got UH football tickets to give out next hour. Also, Jocelyn Alo will join us at 735, talking some softball. We're going to talk a little NBA, the big trade yesterday. Tanner and I will cover that when we return with the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman with Tanner Hayworth on this Aloha Friday morning on ESPN Honolulu. We'll get to some text a little bit later. You can call as well at 808-296-1420. Yesterday, right after we went off the air, uh, and I'm not often on Twitter, I guess. I mean, I read it nonstop, but I tweeted about the big NBA trade. I know Tanner did as well. Uh, Donovan Mitchell did get traded, as rumored for a while, but not to the New York Knicks, as was rumored for a while. They went to Cleveland, which a few days earlier I heard were out of the running. 
and even in the article yesterday by Woj indicating that, and they got back in, and Danny Ainge made the deal. So what they get is Colin Sexton, a young player out of Alabama, who's injured most of last year, but a really good player. The rookie out of Kansas, who was one of the better players for Kansas in their championship run, uh, Ochai Abaji. I hope I'm saying it right. Tanner will correct me, I'm sure, in a minute. And Lowry Markinen, who we got to see when he was a freshman at Arizona in the Veterans Day tournament here at UH years ago. Uh, he'd been with the Bulls at first and now with Cleveland. And they get three unprotected first-round picks and two pick swaps later on as well. Utah's cleaning house, obviously. Cleveland is much improved. And Kendrick Perkins from ESPN, former NBA player, said they're the best start, they have the best starting lineup in the NBA. I don't know how you feel about that comment, Tanner, but that was an interesting perspective. I'll definitely, you know, edit and say one of the best. Mm. It's a good talking point. Thank you very much, Kendrick. But <laughs> I think, you know, there's still the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. But to focus on the Cleveland Cavaliers here, you do pair Darius Garland, who has been one of the most improved players in the NBA since his rookie year. He he's an he's an All Star last year. You pair him up with Donovan Mitchell, who's probably one of the better scorers in the NBA. Um, and then you have <laughs> something that you probably never expected to hear in 2022 in the NBA. Basically, two defensive monsters who are basically both centers in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Mobley Towers. <laughs> the exact I don't I don't know what you can call them now, especially, you know, unfortunately. These days are different. These right? days are different, but it is very much as close to David Robinson and Tim Duncan you can get to. It is very much a budget version of both of them, obviously. But Jared Allen proved that he was a major defensive force last year as he was Usually a consistent block leader in his time as a Brooklyn net. Right. But and then Evan Mobley as a rookie comes out from USC. He even though he's as big as he is, a great defender, he also has the ability to stretch the floor. So you have those four guys, and I believe they're if you look at depth charts, if you look at starting lineups predicted, Isaac Okoro probably comes out as that small forward to absent defense. I think that I mean the Cleveland Cavaliers make the eighth seed, lose out in the play-in tournament, just basically due to injuries last year. If they stay healthy throughout this entire year, I feel confident that this could be a top-four seed in the in the uh, Eastern Conference. Yeah, I, I would agree with that part. Top four, they really could, and they were really good last year. They were really peaking, and then at the end of the regular season, they dropped down a little, uh, ended up losing in the play-in, but they were really good before that, and I think they could be much improved, which just makes it more competitive, more dramatic, and a lot of fun for all of us. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. We'll get your thoughts as well uh, for the Cleveland Cavs and the NBA in general. Uh, coming up after our break, we'll get you caught up with traffic and sports center, and then we'll do buy and sell, buy or sell, of course, and then we'll talk some college football from last night's games and what the uh, from some of the f former Hawaii quarterbacks who they'll be playing coming up this weekend as well. All ahead with the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. It's 
It's Aloha Friday, and it is September, already the 2nd of September. Gary Dickman here with the Sports Animals for Bobby Curran and the Bobby Curran Show. Tanner Hayworth in our downtown PAXA studios. Chris will be back with us on Tuesday. We will all be uh, celebrating and taking Monday Labor Day off. And on Tuesday, we will have a lot of UH talk, hopefully talking about the big victory. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Jocelyn Alo. Best, uh, best softball player in the country, another championship with Oklahoma, now playing professionally, and she's got a big meet and greet coming up this Monday at Sports Stand in Waipahu. We'll talk to her about everything at the bottom of the hour, but it is right after 7, which means it is time for Tanner to do his thing. The Bobby Curran Show presents Buy or Sell. All righty, Gary, let's kick this off with something that we just finished talking about. If the, with the Donovan Mitchell trade, if you didn't know, the Utah Jazz traded their superstar to the Cleveland Cavaliers for a package of Colin Sexton, Lori Markinen, another uh, O'Shea Ojabi. I don't know how to say his last name either, so don't worry about that, Gary. <laughs> and three unprotected first-round picks and a couple of pick swaps. With Donovan Mitchell being one of the biggest trade stories the last couple of months, one team was always connected to Donovan Mitchell, yet they could not get a deal done. By yourself, the biggest losers of the Donovan Mitchell trade are the New York Knicks. Uh, you had to rub it in, and thank you for that. I'm a Knicks fan and a Nets fan. Don't ask me why. Uh, I'm going to buy that because they are the biggest losers. I mean, if you're a Utah fan, you got to feel pretty bad in a way because you were in the playoffs six years in a row, the, the longest streak in the Western Conference, which is amazing, but you never got past the second round. So now you clean house. Danny Ainge wants to show that I guess he can build a team from scratch. So it's going to be a process in a couple of years before they're good again. But for the New York Knicks, they cleared up all this cap space. Said they were going to get a star. Didn't happen last year. Didn't happen this year. Mitchell is from New York. He was actually in attendance when LeBron James announced his first decision. He was in the boys club back then as a little kid. He wanted to be back there. His father works for the Mets, and it didn't happen. Knicks blew it again, so I'm buying. Tanner Hayworth will be playing the role of Chris Hart for this. And I'm going to buy as well, and I'm going to go further. Not only are the biggest losers of this trade, I think the New York Knicks are the biggest losers outright. <laughs> so I'll mega buy on that one. <laughs> You're really rubbing it, but I can't I can't debate that at all. You are right on with that. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. One, a couple of the biggest college football games are happening this weekend for week one. And, of course, one of the biggest ones is the matchup between number two and number five, Ohio State taking on Notre Dame. As as Ohio State looks to be a clear favorite in that game. Now, Notre Dame this year has a pretty interesting schedule as they start the year off with this. And near the back end of their schedule, we'll take on currently ranked number four, Clemson in their fourth to last game. Buy or sell, Notre Dame would benefit the most with a week one loss to Ohio State. They would benefit the most. Because they would benefit from a earlier loss than a later loss on their schedule. See, that's uh, okay. I'm going to, before I preface it by saying buy or sell, I'm going to preface it before I give that part of it is that the, the old way of looking at college football if you lose early you can always make up for it and if you're a top ranked team and you lose late you can't make up for it so in that way of looking at it it's better to have an early loss but 
the margin for error is zero after that. And I know I mentioned this earlier this week. You, if you have two losses, you're not making the playoffs for all intent and purposes. It hasn't happened yet. So if you lose early, yeah, you can kind of make up for it. But you can't afford one more loss and you're done. So I'm going I'm to sell it just based on that, even though, again, in principle, it's better to lose early. But in their situation, I think it's going to be really difficult to make up for that. Then I'm going to go for the buy because it's the thing that I said. Um, Ohio State, they are currently the number two team in the NCAA. I think they're going to keep that up for the entire year. And if your one loss the entire year is to Ohio State, I'm not sure if you're an AP uh, poll voter or a college football playoff voter that you can really hold Notre Dame to a standard like that when they finished last year at five with their only loss to a number four Cincinnati. So, like you said, better to lose earlier than later. The margin of error is zero, but I will buy that statement. Okay. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And finally, a couple of the college football games last night. One to highlight was the return of the backyard brawl as Pitt takes down Western Virginia with a amazing pick six to seal the game for Pitt. As for the first time in 11 years, Pitt beats Western Virginia. Of course, first game in 11 years for this <laughs> rivalry. Buy or sell. The backyard brawl is the prime example of why college football fans hate conference realignment. Ooh, I thought you were going to go somewhere else. I'm going to buy that. And I, I, I don't like realignment. I'm, I guess I'm old-fashioned. I'm not a big fan of change if it's not broken. And the conferences, the way they were set up years ago, were great. I didn't like Texas A&M leaving the Big 12, and now you're kind of used to it. I don't like realignment generally, and it's going to continue as we know. I mean, the USC-UCLA news just a, still sounds crazy. But Pittsburgh-West Virginia was a great game, and it's great to have that rivalry back. And I saw that graphic on the TV after the game was when the game was over about their first victory and how many years they haven't played. So that's, that's about as misleading a comment as possible but i'm gonna buy it yeah we, we we don't want realignment in my opinion we want the rivalries of course i'm gonna buy it because what are you gonna have after this in a couple of years you're gonna have an amazing backyard brawl between Pitt and west virginia who have so much history and then next week you'll have ucla and maryland <laughs> yeah. so yeah i'm gonna buy for sure okay Buy, 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 or sell. Sell, sell, sell. That's buy or sell on ESPN Honolulu. It's funny you said UCLA and Maryland in a way. You know, because... I totally did not mean to like go at you again. Oh no, but that one. If that if that was going to be going. No, no what's funny about it is that they're playing in basketball this year at Maryland in December. Before, I mean, they're not. I mean, they're going to be in the same conference soon. But that's not part of the deal. They just happen to be playing a non-conference game in basketball this year, so they'll they'll get used to that trip really quick. You know, I didn't see this, and I'm not sure if you did. Let's continue with some college football. And I read this last night that after Pitt won that game over West Virginia, the Pittsburgh players on the field were waving goodbye to the West Virginia players, and that didn't sit too well with West Virginia. Did you see or hear anything about that? I didn't. But I can only imagine what that stirred up. It's really fun because none of these players on the field have ever, like, obviously they've never been in this matchup, but it's likely they've never even heard of this matchup if you haven't seen it, what, since you were 10 or 11 years old. I think what was really awesome was one of the commentators, Lewis Riddick, who is from Pitt, played this game. 
So it was a really great experience. I loved it. It was 70,000 strong at Acrisure Field, no longer Heinz Field, which feels gross to say. I think there was this, my favorite part of the game, obviously the pick six that sealed the game, but that great shot that the cameraman had of just as soon as the pit defender crosses that end zone, he just zooms out and you could just see just the sea of blue and yellow from the pit fans and you just hear just the deafening like deafening cheers from the stands of that 70,000 seat stadium. Right. That was that was chills to me. Yeah, the atmosphere of, of college sports to me is what makes it sometimes better than pro sports. College basketball, I've always not always, but it's been my favorite sport for a long time. Part of it is just the atmosphere, the intensity, every game matters, and the fans. Now, let me ask you a question because you, you've, you, I know you know way more college football than Chris and I together. With Joey Yellen coming to Hawaii, and I know somebody asked Timmy Chang that the other day, didn't give a total answer, just that Joey Yellen wanted competition or a challenge, but... Did Joey Yellen come to Hawaii after Keaton Slovis uh, determined he was going to transfer to Pitt? So the thing with the thing with Yellen, so he in his first transfer from Arizona State to Pitt, he only had played that one game against USC in a losing uh, performance, but it was a pretty solid performance. He goes over to Pitt, backs up Kenny Pickett in 2020, and in 2021, as we know, Kenny Pickett has a really great season. Yeah. And then he makes that decision to not play in the bowl game. But then, I can't remember his first name, but Patty becomes the backup quarterback. And he has a pretty good first drive in that bowl game. And then he breaks his collarbone on the ensuing touchdown drive. And what happened next was someone else came in. I can't remember the quarterback's name, but it wasn't Joey Yellen. Uh... So Joey Yellen was not getting a, was not getting third-string snaps for that bowl game. So it only made sense that he would then transfer to find somewhere that needs a starting quarterback. So there's a lot of tape on Yellen. Unfortunately, a lot of the tape at Pitt, he was going against really great defensive teams. He was going against Notre Dame. I believe he also played Miami in 2020 when they were really good on defense. So a lot of the stats from that season doesn't necessarily paint a great picture of him. I think when you look at that uh, Arizona State-USC game in 2019, that's the what you want to see from Joey Yellen. I think we saw uh, glimpses of it when he was on the field during his first couple drives when he was um, what was he eight for eleven or something or nine? I can't remember. Nine or ten. He was nine. He was nine and start. ten, and yeah. then went zero oh for nine. So that kind of like was an encapsulation of his college career at that point. He starts off really good, and you're like, oh, maybe there's some potential here. Then he went zero oh for nine. You're like, oh, well, what now? So right. I think there's a lot of positives to see still from Yellen, from Shager, and then you also mentioned Cam and Cooper, who brings in really great athletic abilities. So maybe Joey Yellen thought he was gonna get a you know a guaranteed starting job coming here as one of the more experienced guys because he did play for two separate Power Five programs that right. were strong during their times. But right now it just seems that he's just kind of stuck in another quarterback battle. So. You kind of feel bad for him a little bit in that sense, but there's no one else to blame but him at that point. Yeah, so it wasn't because of Slovis, who was the USC guy, just wondering about that. No. And that that game was just so exciting. Again, you could sense the atmosphere. You can kind of feel it uh, watching it. And uh, the, the lead changes, the back and forth, and the two late pit touchdowns to win that game. It, it was pretty exciting. The two games 
that I was really focused on was that and then Penn State-Purdue. And I I like Penn State. Uh, I'm not a major fan of them. I'm a little surprised they're not ranked. And I, again, you know, that doesn't really mean anything this early, but I thought they would have been a ranked team in the preseason. But that was a game where they came from behind in the fourth quarter to win after Purdue looked like they were going to take – they did take the lead late, and that was on a pick six uh, as well. So Pitt had the pit six. And excuse me for saying this, but the Purdue game had the, uh, I guess what people are calling the puke six. I I think I have that right, where the guy who got the pick six uh, scored and got a little too excited and, uh, you know, laid it all out in the field, as some people would say. But what a great game. And uh, Clifford for Penn State coming back on that last drive. They just, it was a perfect two-minute drive, two-minute drive at the end of the game, so to speak. And they almost scored too early, actually, Penn State to get that lead. But that was a great game as well, I thought. Yeah, I think that's what you expected to see from Penn State. A lot of people did expect that win from them. Probably not the margin you would have liked, but Purdue comes out there with Aiden O'Connell, who is one of the better quarterbacks in the NCAA right now. Um, the So with Penn State, like you said, like why aren't they ranked? I think a lot of it is going to lean on whether or not uh, Clifford is going to be a, a good six-year quarterback. There's a lot of jokes you can make. A lot of people do make the jokes that, you know, he's on AARP. Uh, he's kind <laughs> of like the senior citizen because he's he's a six-year senior. He's been here yeah. since 2016, which is a crazy statement to say out loud. But Clifford is like the ultimate veteran, but it took him a while to kind of get warmed up and to finally execute uh, that game-winning drive. So... In the end, it looks good for Sean Clifford, but if I were a Penn State fan right now, I'm excited because Joey Porter Jr., their cornerback, had a pretty solid game. But other than that, I really don't think there's a lot of super big positives you can come out of this if you are a Penn State guy or uh, because you want to see a better win if you're going to have all these veterans. And maybe he didn't get the help that he you'd want to see from his running backs something that he didn't get last year when Penn State started out just terribly. Oh, no, started out very good, then ended up going terribly because right. they started out undefeated. Right, So couple late losses. And by Sean Clifford's injury and not getting a lot of help from the running backs, it was just rough for Penn State in the end. So there have been a little bit of doubts kind of coming out of that Penn State fan base about whether or not James Franklin is that guy. And... This game probably didn't do enough to do away with those doubts. And I think as the year goes on, it's going to be interesting to see how Penn State works this out if Clifford can step up and be that six-year veteran guy. Yeah, an early conference game. I mean, I know Northwestern and Nebraska played last week, but that was the Ireland game, so there was a reason for that conference game to be played early. This one was a little strange in that aspect. And Clifford, completion percentage, Sean Clifford, 20-37, but he had 282 yards, four touchdown passes, and only one INT. O'Connell for Purdue threw 58 passes, and his completion percentage, 29-58, of 58, so exactly 50%. Uh, 356 yards sounds like a lot. He only had one touchdown. 
really, when you think about it, O'Connell, I mean, he threw a ton of passes to get the yards that he had. So great game, though, but really exciting, intense, and down to the wire, which is what you love. At least I do. I think Tanner does, too, about college football. We're going to take a break. We'll get to the phones coming up in just a second. We also have Rainbow Wahine volleyball tickets that I will be giving out for 7.30. And, of course, Jocelyn Alo will join us in about 20 minutes from now as well. All ahead with the animals on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Sports Animals on this Aloha Friday morning on ESPN Honolulu. 15 minutes from now, Jocelyn Alo will be joining the show, so stay tuned for that. I'm going to talk some Rainbow Wahine Volleyball in a minute, give out some tickets for tonight and Sunday, so uh, you can get ready to dial in for very simple trivia. Right now, let's go to the phone. Mike has been holding on. Hi, Mike. Hey, Gary, before I talk college football, sure. I want to give Kobe Altman all the credit. That dude has rebuilt the Cavs. I mean, they have the best young core, I think, right now. Four guys under 25 and under. And you figure Mobley, I mean, Mobley could be, if he becomes who we think he is, which a lot of people think he's possible uh, Kevin Garnett type, and then a Garland's elite. It's a little small, but Donovan Mitchell, is he was the guy they needed. Last year they only had Garland to handle the ball. Uh, and, and could score. Now they got two of these guys. So I love the uh, the trade. And they got rid of marketing. He was basically he was a stiff at small forward. Uh, Sexton was hurt, and then they got a rookie that hey I don't. Know. And then those draft picks are twenty five, twenty seven, and twenty nine. That's when those draft picks come to play. So if if they keep the core, those draft picks are not going to be lottery picks. They're, Probably not. I don't want to uh, you know. Curb your excitement, Mike. But when you say Evan Mobley could be like a Kevin Garnett after one year, you're comparing him with a Hall of Famer. I wouldn't, and I know he no, had a really good rookie he's year. Got the potential. It's called potential. Both well, everybody has. Laurie Markkinen coming into the league was considered a surefire All Star, I think, by a lot of people. A freshman out of Arizona had a great year, and that hasn't exactly worked out. I'm just saying I mean, Mobley was really good last year. He probably had a better year than Markkinen has had so far in his career, but. I think they're much improved, and I know Tanner said earlier probably a top four in the East. They could be, but I don't know if I'd go you know, right. as far as you're going yet. No, you, that's young core, though. Same four guys uh, on, on a team, 25 and under, that are that good. I can't name one. I was trying to rack, rack my brains. But, and that's uh, probably true, but, anyway, but again, you need five to play, and just because they're the best young team doesn't mean they're going to win the East because they have the best four under 25. No, that's I'm not, not the reason. That. I'm just saying that, 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 make, that um, widens their window of opportunity. Yes, that's definitely. Core players. Yeah. yeah, the other thing is, for uh, you guys were talking about Penn State, they got, they got the number one uh, high school quarterback last year. Uh, five-star Drew Aller. That kid's going to take over midseason. The problem with Penn State is their head coach is a great recruiter, average coach. Matter of fact, mediocre game coach. Average I mean, coach? He did pretty good play- at Vanderbilt. Well, that's it, but he hasn't done it at Penn State. With well, you're saying he just, he's not a good game coach. Look what he did at Vanderbilt, so he was good there. Well, I mean, Vanderbilt, they, they, if they win, they play 500. You know, they're, they're having a parade. 
Well, that's what he did there. He got I mean, him to a bowl a, game. Talk about James Franklin, of course. Right, yeah, Penn State a, hasn't gotten I'm to the Big you. Ten championship with him yet, but I think he's a pretty good coach. No, but I mean, if Penn State fans don't think so, and that the the deal is he's an excellent recruiter. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about it. They they are the toughest matchup for Ohio State in the Big Ten every year, right? Because they have the athletes. But it is you know looking forward to uh, college football. And, and that expansion, too, Gary. Yes. Okay, Mike, thanks for the call. In fact, we Take have care. time later. Mike, thank you. Uh, we're going to talk maybe about the college football playoffs expanding in a little bit. Uh, right. Okay, we're going to do some ticket giveaways in just a second, but I understand we have another phone caller. It is our good friend, Lois Mannon. Hi, Lois. How's it going? Hey, good morning. Good morning. I just I just wanted to call in and say thank you to you guys at ESPN 1420. And to everybody out there to help to help us with the Wahine on the Rise Day of Giving yesterday it was such a great success, and and we we're just so thankful to everybody out there who who supported us. Yeah, I know Chris was going over the dollar amounts that were raised, and when we started talking about it, like six fifteen in the morning, it was a decent amount, good amount, and really from then on until nine when we went off the air, it really really increased. So people were really uh, giving, and it was a great great deal going on, great gesture by everybody, and I'm glad everybody could help out. Yeah, I mean, every everybody was so responsive. You guys, you guys were were doing your thing on the radio all morning, and people were responding to it, and it, it carried on all the way into the evening, and and we ended up at about two hundred and twenty four thousand, which is wow. just incredible. When we went off the air, I believe it was a little over ninety thousand at nine a.m. Yeah, somewhere in there. And That's it just amazing. Kept growing from there. Yeah. So so thank you to everybody out there who who helped us with this. And that goes really to our listeners and all the Hawaii fans, I'm, I'm, I guess. So that's a great, that's great, that's fantastic news. Yeah. So thanks, thanks everybody. I don't, I don't want to take up too much time, but thanks. Okay, uh, Lois. Well, thank you for that update. We appreciate it. Wow, that's incredible. I know. Again, we were going over the dollar amounts uh, for yesterday's. We're almost calling it like a telethon, but all the Wahine sports and uh, wow, over two hundred and twenty thousand when we were at ninety, and it went from like twenty five thousand to about ninety from like six thirty, six forty five in the morning till about nine. Incredible. Well, speaking of Rainbow Wahine sports, as Lois Manon was just talking to us about, we've got some Rainbow Rainbow Wahine volleyball tickets to give out for tonight and Sunday. It's a four pack for each day, correct, Tanner? Okay, so tell you what we'll do for this one. You can be caller number two and give us a call at 808-296-1420, and we will give you a choice of either tonight or Sunday for our first giveaway. We've got football tickets for tomorrow. We'll be giving out a little bit later. We'll do that in the 8 o'clock hour as well and some more volleyball tickets. So give us a call if you want, and we'll let you know when we have a winner. Last night, pretty impressive sweep. Uh, for the Rainbow Wahine over a good Texas State team. We had Tiff Wells on the show yesterday letting us know that that was a good team, maybe not a big, as big of a name as UCLA or West Virginia with Reed Sunahara as their head coach, but they were a good team. And, you know, you might look at the box score if you weren't listening to Tiff last night or at the game and think, well, it was a sweep. It was pretty easy, but it was anything but. In the first set, Hawaii was trailing 24-21. And, I mean, set point three times in a row, uh, or two times in a row for Texas State. And Hawaii ends up winning 28-26. Second set kind of went Hawaii's way. They were, looked like they were, actually they weren't leading in the beginning, but really came on strong, 25-20. And then the third set could have gone either way. It was 27-25. That was Texas State's 
first loss of the season. They are 3-1 and one for the Rainbow Wahine. Their first win of the season after getting swept last week. And uh, it was really exciting. Good crowd there, about 3,400, I understand, in actual attendance. And uh, Amber Igedi had a career, or I think tied a career high with 20 kills. Uh, Kate Lang, just a fantastic setter, 43 assists. I was talking to Tiff yesterday on the show about her getting 55 in a five-set match last Friday against Texas A&M, which was close to her career high. This is 43 in just three sets. So, again, great job by Kate Lang. It was a third double-double. They also had 10 digs last night and added three blocks and a service ace. Did a great job, and Hawaii did hit uh, 344, but the hitting percentage of season high. Riley Wagner contributed with 12 kills, and I mentioned Amber Igedi, uh, career tied the career high with 20 kills and 32 attacks, and also had four uh, a season high with four kills of an average. I'm not sure what that means when I'm looking at this. That I'm sorry. And hit a match high 562. Did a great job there. So really impressive win. Really exciting. Tonight they will have West Virginia starting at 7 p.m. The early match will be Texas State and UCLA and uh, Hawaii. Well, I mean, uh, we'll have the match for Hawaii and West Virginia with Reed Sunahara, the former Hilo, stand, Hilo High standout, starting at about 6.50 tonight on ESPN Honolulu. And then Sunday, it will be UCLA. Uh, many years they've come in for Labor Day weekend and played either on Labor Day or the day before Labor Day. It'll be a 5 o'clock start on Sunday. We'll have the coverage on ESPN Honolulu at about 4.50. UCLA last night did sweep West Virginia. They are ranked 23rd in the country. Uh, there is an autograph session after tonight's match as well at Gate B. Fans are encouraged to wear it black uh, to support uh, cause against racism. So we've got a winner, you said, Tanner, for the volleyball ticket? John from New Uwana won the volleyball tickets. Which night did he pick? Which game? Tonight. He's pitching, picking it for tonight, which means later on we'll have some tickets for UCLA on Sunday afternoon. We'll do that. And the football tickets for tomorrow's game against Western Kentucky all in the 8 o'clock hour. When we come back, we will be talking to the GOAT of college football. Jocelyn Alo will be joining the show uh, of softball, sorry, uh, talking some softball and the meet and greet coming up on Monday at Sports Den. All ahead with the animals on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. I will uh, start off right now by apologizing. Uh, we are somehow unable to get Jocelyn Alo on the show right now. We will try to reschedule her. Uh, just um, the travel plans and things like that. A little uh, timing was off, so we apologize for that. And again, we will try to get her on uh, sometime, if not today, in the near future. But I do want to let you know, and one of the things we were going to talk to her about is coming up on Monday, which is Labor Day, from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., there'll be a meet and greet, and this is at Sports Stand Hawaii in Waipahu, and Jocelyn Alo will be there again. Uh, definitely check it out from 10 till noon, Labor Day on Monday, Sports Stand in Hawaii. And again, we 
we apologize for that, but hopefully we can uh, try to reschedule her, and we will let you know as soon as we know. Uh, 808-296-1420 is the phone number. It's also our text line at the Zephyr Insurance text line. And we did get some text in, and uh, let's get to a couple of them. Jeff texted in, talking UH football from earlier. He just wants to see the new OC dynamic offense for Hawaii. And he's talking about, Ian Shoemaker's offense, where at Eastern Washington put up a lot of numbers, a lot of yards. And I know somebody was asking Timmy Chang again at Call the Coach on Wednesday about that, about the up-tempo. And, I mean, when you hear they're going to run an up-tempo offense, which is what we heard, it's not going to be continuous throughout the game. There's not going to be, I mean, in a perfect scenario, yes, you'll be able to do it. But he said once they were trailing, it was a little bit difficult to have the up-tempo. They had to make sure they were sitting right and, you know, stuff like that. So when you hear that, don't expect it to be for a full four quarters. But they hope to implement that more and more and have it take place during the game. But I know some people were asking about that. And uh, Jeff's talking about the dynamic offense. And when you think about last week, they scored a touchdown on their first drive, the Diedrich Parson uh, long run for the TD. And that was the only touchdown. They did get a field goal. Uh, before halftime, and that was it. So I think a lot of us would like to see some more offense there, definitely. Let's get another text. Uh, Mike earlier, a few minutes ago, actually, was saying that the Cleveland Cavs, not that he's a homer, but he's a fan, that's cool. Uh, so he said they have the best four players under 25 in the NBA, and they might. That that doesn't do a whole lot except make it to me that they're much improved, sure. But you need a really good starting five, not a good starting four, and they do have a good starting five. Uh, and just because they're the best youngest under 25 to me doesn't mean they would necessarily win the title but they are in the up and up and we got a text from rob from las vegas thank you for the text rob saying four players under 25 he lists golden state where james wiseman jordan Poole, uh jonathan kaminga and moses moody who was a rookie last year out of arkansas you know that's not a bad one wiseman has only played i think in like two games in his nba career in a few years i think the jury's still out so I would not include him in that because he hasn't done anything. Kaminga is supposed to be the most highly regarded. He was, well, Wiseman was the number two pick in the draft. Kaminga was the lottery pick as well. He doesn't really get a lot of playing time. I thought he showed a lot when he was what he was playing, but I don't know if he's quite ready to be part of an eight-man rotation or so. Where Poole and Moody, especially Jordan Poole, he really showed everybody who he was last year after really bouncing around a little bit early in his NBA career, uh, showed that he's a uh, what imp- really important player for them. Moses Moody, I thought, came on strong in limited minutes. But that's a good uh, text there, Rob. Thank you for that. 808-296-1420 is the number. And uh, if you do have a comment or a question, give us a call or a text at the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, I want to go back to college football for a minute. And one thing I want to talk about, and I'll let uh, Tanner expand. One of the games yesterday, I was talking about the two games that I was really caught up in, Penn State-Purdue, and then also the backyard brawl, West Virginia and Pittsburgh, a great game. But we did have a former Hawaii player, Chevin Cordero. He was in action against Portland State. It was kind of interesting in that Chevin last year beat Portland State. It was the home opener for Hawaii, I believe. It was the first win of the season, that's for sure. And Portland State uh, knows Chevin a little bit. That was a game that was really, really close. And I was just following it online uh, where Portland State had the early lead and Chevin had a 32-yard touchdown run to tie it up. And they were up 14-7 at halftime, San Jose State. In the fourth quarter, though, they were trailing. 
17-14. Chevin Cordero got another touchdown run with a minute 11 back. Now, Tanner, you watch a lot of this game. What were your thoughts of Chevin Cordero overall? I think what I saw from Chevin was the Chevin that we saw in the middle of last year. Uh, obviously, he showed flashes of the good quarterback he can be. He had a lot of decision-making uh, that was a little questionable from time to time. But at the same time, I don't know how much you can blame him when his offensive line does allow seven or eight sacks to an FCS team. And wow. look, Portland State is one of the oh, – I, I can't remember what their exact uh, record was in the big sky last year, but we saw they were capable of scoring from our last year's game with when they came down to Hawaii. So, yeah, look. Chevin's probably sick of seeing Portland State at this point. Yeah, really. And well, at least he beat him twice. He beat him twice, sure, but this was a really just rough win. You just see a lot of cracks forming on the San Jose State team that a lot of people thought could be a dark horse contender for the last year of the divisions of the Mountain West. Right. Uh, dark horse contender for the West Division, but that offensive line was just bad. And if Seven it weren't sacks is amazing, right? And if it weren't for their defense holding that that Portland State team to only seventeen, I mean, there was at one point where I thought that Portland State was only gonna win because after their offense was downed at the one yard line, San Jose, uh, sorry, Portland State from the one yard line runs a flea flicker for a fifty-yard completion. Wow, from the one-yard line, that's pretty rare. Exactly. At that point, I thought, okay, there's no way Portland State is losing this game after this. And, of course, they don't go on to win it. But I think Portland State had an amazing game. Chevin had an okay game. He was still responsible for all the scoring. Right. But in the last three drives, all three drives were started within the 30-yard line on the Portland State side. And only in the final drive do they come away with points. One you know, was an unfortunate, terrible miss from the twenty-four yard for, for a twenty-four yard field goal oh. that they start. It was on the right hash, and the kicker looked like it was as if the field goal post was dead center for him. If that makes sense, wow! It was way wide right. So San Jose State gave Portland State so many chances to go out and complete the upset but obviously the fbs team shows that the reason why they're the fbs team you can look at the other two almost upsets from last night where akron and uh florida international both eventually prevail over their fcs competition in overtime so last night was a pretty rough night uh for the fbs versus fcs matchups but FBS still prevails. Chevin, I think, will get better as the year goes on. But unfortunately, that offensive line may not be as solid as some people might be expecting. You know, on one hand, you know, you wish Chevin well. I think we all do, except maybe for November 26th when Hawaii travels there right, for the right. last game of the regular season. But you look at him last night, 15 of 30, 50%. Last year at Hawaii's completion percentage, I believe, was 57%, which is okay. It's not – I mean, nowadays, if you want to be – 
on the top tier of quarterbacks or up there, you got to be over 60%. I think that's the, the, the low stand, the low number is 60. You got to be over 60 to be considered a really effective quarterback. So he was below it, but you mentioned his offensive line, but he, as you said, also responsible for the touchdown, the touchdown run that won, it was a one yarder. But if you saw that, and I watched that part last night, the, the highlights of that, it was a beautiful move. I mean, he ran to the left. I don't think it was a design play, ran to the left and then cut back to the right. And, uh, did a great job of getting into the end zone. He got tackled right around the goal line, but landed in the end zone, so a clear touchdown. And the 32-yard run was pretty impressive as well. We know he's a good running quarterback. What it also says to me, and again, I hope Chevin has a great year there, but I hope San Jose State maybe does not because they're in the same division as Hawaii. And people were picking Hawaii at the bottom, either UNLV or UH, uh, at the bottom of the uh, West Division. Uh, Jeremy Mouse a few weeks ago told us he picked Nevada below Hawaii. He had Nevada and UNLV at the bottom. But if San Jose State is struggling this year, and, I'm, you know, they can get better, too. I'm sure they're saying similar things as we are. You know, hopefully they'll show improvement in week two and all that stuff. But if they are a struggling team, we got three teams that might be, uh, might be beatable. And I don't want to, you know, give too much hype to Hawaii because we saw what happened last week when we said that Vanderbilt could be beatable. But that shows that, you know, San Diego State, Fresno State, really good. Fresno State had a pretty impressive win. Well, it was against Cal Poly, FCS, 35-7 to in their game last night. Uh, but maybe there's still some hope for Hawaii with, you know, San Jose State struggling. And I think that is one of the things I take away in a, in a weird way of looking at it. Just on that, I want to go to – I don't have the text in front of me. I believe it was on – uh, the Sports Animal Show with Josh yesterday afternoon, where somebody was talking about how bad Hawaii is this year because of the game on Saturday. It's the same thing as Fred Von Oppen and Norm Chow. And they, I believe the text was totally serious. And I, I, I think somebody maybe even texted in response later, but even without hearing it on the air, just reading it, I mean, I know fans, there were some fans that were down after the loss, and there were some critical fans. But the majority were very supportive, which was great. But to think that this is as bad of a team as any other team, or to think they're as good as any other team because of one game with everything this team, and, and I'm not making excuses, it's just a reality. Very few teams have 52 or 53 new players at once in one year. And players that they lost, it wasn't all graduation, obviously. Uh, there was a lot of transfers, and we know about the great transfer. Jonah Laula with Oklahoma. Uh, we know about you know Darius Muisau, uh with UCLA now, and so many others. Corey Bethley. Cameron Lockridge, I could go on and on. So, again, no excuse. New coaching staff, you can understand this team did struggle, unfortunately, the way they did. But to think this team is as bad as an 0-12 season after this one game, that, I, I, that's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not logical to think that way, in my opinion at least. And maybe other people will disagree with that. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But I thought that was really, really hard. It's one thing to be upset with the loss last week. Everybody was upset but hopefully more realistic. But to think this team is already that bad, wow, I thought I was really su- kind of surprised at that comment at least. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I've seen the comments, but at the same time, I've seen a grand majority of more positive yeah. and more understandable comments. Like right. some people can say that this team will struggle to win a couple of games, but also still say, but yeah, it's also, like you said, 53 new players. Brand new coaching staff. And there's a lot to be worked on. But also, like you said, it's week zero. This is the first game of the season. Just because you do bad in the first action you see that is not your own team 
doesn't mean that that's what it's going to be for the entire year. These are mechanics that are going to be worked on. These are funder, these are fundamentals that are still being etched into a lot of these guys' brains. We had a lot of guys who this was their first ever game that they've ever started in their career. There's right, going right. to be some growing pains. Yep. Does that mean we're going to go win a bowl game? No. Does that mean we're going to go 0-12? No. Because it's week zero. There's no way to look at this one game of the season and then say this will be the entire year. Right. That's why they say it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. We'll have more UH football talk. We'll have UH football tickets to give out coming up soon, and we'll also have some volleyball tickets as well. Back in a minute with the animals on the Bobby Current Show on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman with Tanner Hayworth. He is in our downtown Paxa studios. I am at my uh, residence right now, my room getting ready for a big weekend of Hawaii sports volleyball tonight. Uh, we've got West Virginia in uh, day two of this tournament, and it should be a lot of fun at Simplify Arena Stan Sheriff's. And it was great hearing all the fans last night. First time they've had uh, full attendance uh, uh, allowed in over two years, in two seasons, and it was great to have that. And uh, I'm going to go see West Virginia tonight, UCLA on Friday. We'll have all the coverage for both matches on ESPN. Honolulu football tomorrow. Reminder, in the 8 o'clock hour, we will have UH football tickets to give out for tomorrow's game, and we will also have another set of volleyball tickets. That'll be for Sunday's match against UCLA. I want to talk about some Hawaii high school player, former high school player that are going to be playing collegially tomorrow for football, for quarterbacks in football. But let's get a text in here real fast. It just came in. It says, we're talking about UH, this team will win games. However, this is not a good team. I think the goal is for them to get better. There are some positives that they can build on. I think we got a good job. Uh, we got a good quarterback. They just need to learn the offense. The defense just needs to be better at tackling all things you can teach. Um, yeah, I, I would agree, I guess, with that. But I, I, I don't know how anybody can label this team really good or really bad or anything yet. It's just one game, is, especially with so many new players. Even if they won 63-10, to 10, I don't know if that would be enough to say, well, this team is really good. You know, you have to look at who you're playing. The Vanderbilt's saying, well, they're going to compete for the SEC title because they won by 53 points. You know, it's one game. They have to take into account the situation that they were playing in against a new team, so to speak, with all the players. So it works both ways. I'm not just saying it because of a loss. So I think it might be a little too soon to label this team one or the other. I mean, you can look at June Jones in 99, and I don't want to compare it to this year, so to speak, but when they lost their first game, were people then saying, oh, here we go, just like Von Oppen, losing streak continues, and then we know it turned out to be the biggest turnaround in a year uh, in NCAA history. After losing the first game, they ended up 9-3 and three, uh, after losing the bowl game, so they did a great job in the regular season after that loss. And again, I know it's a different situation, different coach and everything, but it could turn around, and that's the hope, and that's the fun part of being a fan. Uh, going back, I was mentioning a second ago about former Hawaii players playing in a college football game tomorrow. The quarterback, we talked about Chevin Cordero and his game yesterday against Portland State. Also tomorrow, we've got Jalen Delora. Remember, he was Jalen Delora was at Washington State last year. He transferred, doesn't have to sit out. He's at Arizona, and they will be playing on the road at San Diego State in their new stadium. That should be a really interesting game. Jalen Delora had a really good year, actually, stat-wise, for the 
Washington State Cougars in the Pac-12 is one of the better quarterbacks last year in a really bizarre, unusual situation with Rolo uh, being relieved, you know, just a few games in. So I'm going to look forward to that game. Also, we have got Taulia Tonkovailoa for Maryland, and they've got Buffalo tomorrow. Uh, should be a nice game there. Talia, another quarterback who had outstanding numbers last year in the Big Ten. Hopefully that will continue for him. And then for Oklahoma, Dylan Gabriel. Uh, he gets his first start as a Sooner, and they've got UTEP tomorrow. Also, Jonah Laulu on that team, and that should be uh, pretty interesting to see him, uh, how he does on that level. I have a feeling he's going to shine there as well. So those are just the Hawaii quarterbacks. We've got other players like Darius Muasawas with UCLA. And uh, Corey Bethley Tanner, is he with Georgia Southern? No, he was actually at Arizona State. Oh, he's at you Arizona State. I think you were thinking of Cam Lockridge, who, who originally transferred Southern Alabama. Okay. And then went to Fresno State. Did, did Day Day Hunter go? He might have gone to Georgia Southern. No, he went to Liberty. He went to Liberty. Okay. No one went to Georgia okay. Southern. Okay. Ever? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Is that even a real place? It is. It's hard to feel the team if nobody ever goes there, but thank you for clarifying that. Uh, we're going to take a time out in just a minute. We'll get you caught up with traffic. We'll come back. We've got UH football tickets to give away, UH, uh, Rainbow Wahine volleyball tickets, and Mark Veneri talking UH football as well on ESPN Honolulu. Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Third hour of the Sports Animals on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth joining you, and we'll get to some more text in just a second. 808-296-1420 is the number for our phone calls or from the Zephyr Insurance text line. So uh, feel free to give us some comments, and we'll get to, again, we'll get to some text in just a second. Also coming up in, say, about 10 minutes from now, we'll give out the University of Hawaii football tickets, a pair of tickets for tomorrow's game. Again, Against Western Kentucky. Uh, we're also going to have Mark Veneri join us in about 20 minutes talking some UH football and a little col- uh, high school football as he will be doing the game tonight. We'll talk more with Mark in a little bit. Uh, Bishop Gorman and St. Louis over at Nililani and of course Kahuku and Punahou this weekend as well. Two unbelievable matchups among the many that are going to be going on. So stay tuned for all of that coming up ahead. And uh, in the first hour, Tanner and I were talking about the game tomorrow, and we're going to probably do this every Friday, is what we want to see for the University of Hawaii football team in this game tomorrow. And, I mean, obviously first and foremost is a win. That goes without saying every week. But what specific areas? And I mentioned earlier, and I, that's my my first priority, I guess, as a fan watching is the maybe improved quarterback play. And again, it wasn't awful. I think an awful or a bad football game by a quarterback is when you're turning the ball over constantly. That that hurts more than a 50% completion percentage, which is basically what Hawaii had last week. Uh, if you recall, when you look at the numbers, Braden Shager, 18 of 35, a little over 50%, and Joey Yellen, 10 of 20. After starting, um, I think it was 9 of 10 or 9 of 11, and then went, go, he went over 9 or after that. So 
know, started both quarterbacks started strong. But I want to see a higher completion percentage. I see when I look at the depth chart, and we've been told, and John Venneri told us this the other day on the show, you know, it, it's not set in stone. And we've known that over the years. Chris and I have talked about it many times that when we get sent the media notes, and you can look them up online at uh, hawaiiathletics.com as well, they'll have a depth chart usually comes out on Monday, and it's not always 100% the same on Saturday. But one thing I did notice is that Dior Scott is listed as a starting receiver over um, – over James Phillips. James Phillips, and, you know, I have nothing against the guy. I know he was really good when he came in as a recruit and came in as a running back, I believe, at first. Uh, when I went to a scrimmage three or four weeks ago, he had a, quite a few drops. Last week, I believe the first catch attempt was a drop as well. He actually played a little better after that, uh, and I'll get his numbers here in just a second. He had um, 11 targets and seven catches for 33 yards. Not a lot of yards, but he did have seven catches. Uh, his long was 12, but Dior Scott, I thought, was a little better going in. And that's one of the changes we have seen. Other than that, I don't know if I see any other personnel changes as far as what's listed on paper now, but things could change there. I, we want to see better tackling. Uh, I want to see this team. I don't know. I don't know the, the play calling. I, I was I was fine with. I mean, they mixed it up a lot. And, you know, some people might think with Timmy Chang being the head coach that they're going to really pass the ball a lot more. But Ian Shoemaker likes to you know, pass a lot but also run a lot. And we've got really good running backs. I think Dedrick Parson is really good. I know he had the fumbles last week. We didn't really see anybody else of substance as far as the amount of carries. And, again, when you're trailing that much, you're not going to run the ball. But Tylen Hines, a true freshman out of Texas, I've heard a lot about. He's a little undersized, but he's got some flashes of speed. And the one guy I was really impressed with when I did go to the scrimmage was uh, Najee Bryant-Lely. Uh, he had, I think, one carry last year. Uh, this past week had four for 21 overall, and hopefully we'll see a little more of some of these guys tomorrow. But I'm hoping this team, first of all, can win, of course, but I want to see improved quarterback play and then the defense do a better job tackling. I know those are maybe obvious areas. I thought there were some other areas that, you know, they weren't that bad. One of the players we didn't really talk about, Tanner, I want to get your take as well. I believe you brought him up on Monday's show, but Jalen Jalen Withall, the receiver, I don't remember him. He had some really nice catches. Now, he had five catches for 61 yards. That's not bad. I thought he looked really, really good, and I didn't really remember him or think of him coming into the season, but I thought he showed a lot of promise. So last year, he was only a freshman. Um, I didn't really remember much from him last year either, but if you were around in spring, spring camp, fall camp, and you were watching... If there was one guy that you were excited to see on offense, it was that white jersey number four, which is Jalen Walthall. And mm. I, you know, he did what he did in, in practice that he did in the game. He had a couple of really great catches. I think a lot of the guys who are around media wise are probably much in agreement that Jalen Walthall is going to be a guy that we're going to be watching for a couple of years and be very excited to just see him do his thing for a couple of years because he. Whether because he's not like because when you look at this young younger wide receiver core, you look at the guys like Chuki Hines, who is pretty much going to be your speed guy. Jalen Walthall, he may not have the speed of a Chuki Hines, but he has such an amazing ability to go up for a ball. I mean, at this point, I feel like just calling him Air Jalen at this point because <laughs> this dude skies for balls. He did it throughout all camp. I think he had one or two of those in of his five catches in that Vanderbilt game. I'm really excited. I want to see more out of Jalen. But and it's gonna be hard because this is a deep wide receiver room. 
But probably after this year when a, a bunch of these seniors do graduate, I think we're going to see a lot more of him, and I'm very excited to see that. And let me ask you, somebody just texted us. Let me just correct one thing I was saying earlier. Um, it's Zion Bowens who's actually out of the starting lineup. James Phillips is in there. D.R. Scott is replacing Zion Bowens. So thank you for that text there. Pinocchio, of course, starting as a receiver as well. And, of course, we'll have Jordan Murray, who's listed as a tight end but lines up in the slot more than he lines up as a tight end. And I, we know about him and what we've heard. Didn't do a whole lot last week, but I think we're going to see a lot of him. But thank you for that text. And then, Gary, you know, I was also going to say, for that depth chart, I've I've also been told to not read too much into that. Yeah, that's what we were saying earlier, right? Right. Yeah. We noticed that from over the years that you can only look at so much of that. One player I was hoping to see a little more of, and maybe we'll see a more more of him throughout the season, starting tomorrow. Did great, maybe the out, more outstanding, most outstanding receiver in the spring game on Island Day is uh, Tamatoa Mokiao Atimalala. Uh, he, he had targeted twice, did not catch the ball on Saturday. Remember in the spring game, he and Jake Farrell had a really good thing going. I believe he had three touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken. And again, not a guy who got a lot of playing time last week, but I'd like to see more of him. The one guy I saw month, three weeks ago when I went to that scrimmage was Gray Ehu, who I thought was really good, real good yak. Uh, really good catching the ball over the middle, separation. He uh, got one catch for six yards, but I'm hoping we see more of him. I was really impressed for this player. I'd like to see some of these new names uh, uh, start to shine and arrive, and hopefully Atimalala and Ihu will be two of those guys. Yeah, I mean, it's these. I mean, when you look at these guys like Gray Ihu, you know, shout out UH Labs uh, and Pac-5 representative there. So sure. I – there's a lot of weapons to use for these quarterbacks. And with a hurry-up kind of style of offense, I'm excited to see kind of that depth start to be used more often. Like you mentioned, James Phillips does have a little bit of an issue with drops. And with that, maybe you could start cycling in guys here and there, whether it be a Tama, whether it be Jalen, whether it even be a great Ihu or a... Uh, Chucky Hines uh, whenever you can. But there's going to be a lot of names that we're going to be saying, how come he wasn't in there? How come he wasn't in there? It's going to be because this room is very deep. Have you heard anything about the Zion Bowens injury? He did come out of the game, I believe, in the first quarter last Saturday. They saw him on the uh, exercise bike on the sidelines a few times, but he never got back in. I haven't heard anything about him, but the fact that he's not listed on the depth chart would indicate that maybe that injury is keeping him out tomorrow. Uh, I have, I don't know, and... Like we, I think we could surmise from the whole quarterback situation, we are not going to know. Yeah, like uh, that's right there. You know, I want to go back to Jonah Pinocchi for a second. He had seven catches, 101 yards. Uh, they now list, I'm not sure if this was there before, but yak they list on the stat sheet that I'm looking at. I don't remember that in the past, but he had 49 yak yards, and his long catch was 28. He's a junior now, and I, I bring him up because I'm talking about Atimalala, Great Ihu, and some of these other young guys, where Pinocchio, when he first came in, again, you're at St. Louis, you're highly heralded coming into college, never really had that, he wasn't really the WR1 per se, and I know he sat out of redshirt his first year, Listen to the junior now. But look what he has become now. He, I think, by anybody's uh, estimation, the number one receiver, anybody who's observed uh, watching him, he's the number one guy right now. you got other receivers that can be really good, and I think Jordan Murray will arrive, and Zion Bowens went healthy as well. 
and some of these young guys I'm talking about, but that's just an example of a guy who maybe not start his college career on fire, but little by little, year by year, improves, and look at what he is now. Uh, again, when I saw him at the practice, was really, really good separation, just the hands, everything, and we saw glimpses of that last year. I think he had some really good games, especially down the stretch, and look at him last Saturday, 100 yards. If he can average 100 yards a week, a game, I mean, that's really, really good. I like watching his progress and seeing how good he has become. And we've got a phone call right now. Let's go to the phones. We've got Junior on the phone. Hey, Junior. Hey, happy um, Friday, uh, Gary. But I think you should give Tanner some props, too, because I was taping it, and he held you silence for about 30 seconds to 45 seconds. So that's something, man, because you know how you always um, take the ball, so to speak, and dunk? But anyway. That was a reach there, Randy, real reach there, but okay. Reach, real reach. But, Gary, you're always taller than most of us Hawaii guys, so you can reach the basket a lot faster than us. Anyway, (laughs) I wanted to talk about high school football. Uh, Punahou, Tanner's team is playing Kahuku, and I think this is going to be a matchup that should be a little bit more interesting than maybe Mililani against St. Louis. Your thoughts? Well, St. Louis is playing Bishop Gorman tonight. I'm, I'm not sure if you're talking from a few weeks ago when they played each other, St. Louis and Mililani. It's right. number one versus number two. So, of course, right. it should be a great matchup. I, I'm really curious because a lot of people, it's still early, have really said that P- Kahuku is by far the best team right now. Punahou has looked outstanding. They let up their first points of the season in three games last week, and that's very few and only seven. I'm wondering, even if Punahou doesn't win, are they going to be on the same level as Kahuku with all the reports? And we know how Kahuku is. I think one of the concerns, I guess, for Kahuku is, uh, I'm trying to remember Cavallo's first name, but he is out with that high ankle sprain. And I know his younger brother came on and had a great game a few weeks ago, but they didn't miss a beat then. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that game. That should be a great game. That should be a really interesting game to see if Punahou can compete, maybe pull the upset, and that's going to be a fun one to watch. Well, one last thing. Is there going to be the pep rally again by Varsity Circle like last week before the before the uh, game at 6 o'clock? Uh, Do you know not, going to be? Not this weekend. No, there's not this weekend. Okay. Uh, so they'll have the, the Bose Fest on campus, and you can still do that. That'll be opened up a couple of hours before kickoff. There will not be a concert this week either. I know some people have been asking. From what I understand, not a concert, no concert this week, but there will be one in the future. Just, just to let your fans know, there's an Okinawan festival down at Moilili Field, so it's going to be quite packed down in the, by UH this weekend. And uh, Bishop Gorman, they have a quarterback's coach by the name of Chad Kapanui, who used to play for the UH Warriors. So, Gary, have a great weekend, and go Tanner. Okay, thank you for the call, Junior. And uh, yeah, Chris uh, Brown, obviously, on that staff at Bishop Gorman as well. We had Chad Kapanui on our show several years ago. I remember, great guy and doing a great job up there. Hey, I'm going to read some texts right now. And while I am reading them, if you would like to win University of Hawaii football tickets for tomorrow's game against Western Kentucky, I've got a pair of tickets. Actually, Tanner has them. And give us a call at 808-296-1420. We will ask a very simple trivia question. So give us a ring right now. We'll get to that. Uh, uh, 
Jen texted in. I was saying how the 99 team lost the first game and then really turned it around, the biggest turnaround in history. I think I said they were 9-3. and three. Uh, Jen is saying they were 9-4 and four and won the ball game. Okay, I got that part mixed up. Thank you for that. Uh, somebody texting us also that the defense needs to tackle and play better. Yes. And then also saying Bowen's not listed in the starting lineup, that it was Phillips. Thank you for that. Uh, another one saying that check out the YouTube channel, Hang Time. It's by the punter of Oklahoma, and that makes me curious in a way, but then it says lots of Dylan Gabriel in the show, so I will check that out. And he said the punter is from the famous kicking family, Turk. Okay, and his last text, and this is good because I know somebody asked the other day, saying that uh, Myron Tungavailoa Amosa did make the Las Vegas Raiders practice squad. When I checked yesterday, he was not listed anywhere. I uh, did get cut on Tuesday, but he's back with them in the practice squad. That is good news. We're going to go to the phones right now and make somebody a winner at 808-296-1420. And John is up trying to win UH football tickets. Hi, John. How's it going? Hey, good morning, Gary. Did you did you go to the game last week? Uh, no, unfortunately, I didn't. Okay, okay. Well, have you been to TCG Complex yet for a game? Uh, never, never. Okay, well, hopefully you'll win these tickets and be able to go tomorrow. Can you give us the name of the starting running back right now for the University of Hawaii? Started last week, played a lot last year, and it'll be starting tomorrow. Yeah, sure. Uh Diedrich Parson. Diedrich Parson, it is. I don't want to mention the fumble, but he is the starting running back, and I still think he's going to have a great year. And uh, you did a great nice. job there, John. Congratulations. You're going to go for the first time oh, ever man. tomorrow to see UH football. All right. Looking forward to it. Thank All you right. very much. Hang, yeah, hang on the phone, and Tanner will get your information and tell you how to pick up your prize. Okay, good job there. We did get a text in, and it says, what is the color theme for tomorrow? Interesting. Uh, it's going to be green and white. And you might think, well, how is that? You, uh, Depending on what section you are in, and I do not have that map in front of me, I believe, and I'll try to clarify this in a little bit, I believe it's at the Hawaii Athletics website, and I'll try to pull that up in just a minute. But depending on what section you are in, last week was the green out, but we'll uh, find out more about that, which section. But if you can find the map, that'll tell you if it's green or white for tomorrow and uh again if we find out more about which section is which and for me at the new stadium i'm still you know not used to where somebody was telling me last week a friend of mine she goes uh she texts me because i'm in section 148 <laughs> like i don't i don't know where section 148 is i mean i've been there all last year but i wasn't you know i'm not getting used to the sections yet you know aloha stadium i knew that you know k and l were basically at midfield i know if you were in a or b you were in the end zone rst were in the other end zone and stuff like that uh, but I don't know where 148, I looked it up and found out it was on the other uh, side by the visitors, but I don't even know exactly. I think it was near midfield of the 30, something like that. But uh, for this stadium, again, I think it was a great atmosphere last week. I don't know about ticket sales yet, and I am curious if they'll sell out. Uh, in my opinion, it's, it'll be disappointing if they don't sell out. 9,300. I mean, the students get 930. Visiting team, I don't think there'll be as many tomorrow uh, I don't know from Western Kentucky as there were for Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt pretty brought a pretty good amount. But even looking at volleyball last night, Texas State had a pretty good number of fans there. And uh, we'll have to see. But they should be able to sell over 8,000 seats. The, they can sell them. It's just a matter of the fans really want to go. And I hope it's not going to be based because of last week's tough loss that 
Panthers saying, "Now nah, I'm not going to go tomorrow. So we'll find out, but I have not heard a ticket count. I know they had sold right around 8,000 season tickets. Actually, I think a little bit more, so it should be close to a sellout regardless, but time will tell. We do have some Rainbow Wahine volleyball tickets we're going to give out a little bit later also, so stay tuned for that. That'll be after Mark Veneri, and that'll be coming up in just a minute. I want to get one more text, and... Uh, Great. This is from somebody saying, great to see the success fundraiser for Wahine Athletics yesterday. Let's continue supporting Wahine Athletics. Go Bows. Lois Manning joined us. Uh, she called us up just to let us know and thanking us, and we thank her uh, for thanking us about yesterday's fundraiser. And when we, we were announcing all day what was going on as far as the numbers, Chris was giving updates. And the amount of money coming in started at about 20000 And by the time we went off the air, it was – over 90,000. Uh, it was fantastic what was brought up, what was raised. And then she mentioned, Lois did that at the end of the day, it was about 200 and I think 24,000 or so. Uh, it was great to be able to do that and thank all the listeners and everybody for supporting for a Wahine on the Rise, a day of giving. And uh, really, really cool. Every sport basically wanted 2,500. And uh, there was a, over 200 people that were contributing Early in the morning, I'm sure it went up as they went all the way till about midnight, I guess, or late evening to raise that money. But from 20000 to 90000 to over 220000 more than just a little impressive. So great job, everybody. We're going to take a quick break. Mark Veneri will be joining us, and we'll talk some UH football, a little high school as well, on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman here with the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Tanner Hayworth in our downtown Paxa studios. And we want to welcome our next guest who's always busy. He's going to have a very busy weekend starting with some great high school football tomorrow, which we'll get to in a second. Of course, he is the color analyst on ESPN Honolulu for University of Hawaii football. Mark Veneri joins the show. Mark, thanks again for joining us. I know you got a lot going on. Before we talk about tomorrow, I want to get your perspective now on last week's game against Vanderbilt now that you've had a number of days to really decipher everything and think back <laughs> on it what was your overall takeaway oh man a lot to digest I guess you could say yeah. um, I think there's um, a lot of perspective you know I rewatched the game you know for me I'm actually like a film junkie when it comes to you know football I love understanding the game whatnot um, but I, I saw a lot of fixable errors. Um, you know, there's no reason to panic. It's one game. Um, I think we um, need to do a better job tackling. Um, I think that was one of the things that stand uh, standed out to me, and really offering the opportunity because of that, because of having 53 new players on our roster. I think one of the things um, I think Tanner mentioned it earlier on the show, Jalen Waddle, Chunky High. Uh, Shuki getting a chance to play receiver. I think uh, mixing it up, Dior Scott getting more looks at receiver. I think we could have had a little bit of better play out of the receiving core. Um, Jonah Pinocchio was a standout. Um, I think one of the things is moving forward is who are we going to solidify as the number one quarterback? Because it's apparent uh, right now that Joey Yellen and both Braden Shager are guys in the quarterback position that, you know, Coach Timmy Chan, Coach Shoemaker, are looking at you know it, it wasn't the best performance 
Um, it wasn't a performance maybe that I'm sure the coaches are not excited about. But I think, again, it's, a, it's another week and another opportunity uh, to get better. And I think the boys will, will get better from this. I don't want to ask you who's going to be the starting quarterback. I don't think we know, and a lot of people are speculating, of course. But what would you like to see or expect to see as far as a Cam Cooper, for example? Will he get to play? Do you think it'll be a shared job tomorrow night with at least two of them playing? I, I think – I don't know how short the leash is going to be on any of these quarterbacks. I think one of the things I said throughout the broadcast, and I mentioned to you, Gary, is um, – you know, when you're running the read zone type of scheme that the University of Hawaii is doing with the mixture of a little bit of a spread, um, Vanderbilt crashed hard. The defensive ends really crashed hard uh, on the zone read and not really respecting uh, the quarterback to pull and run. You know, I think if we could see something where uh, uh, Cameron Cooper comes in and pulls it because he's got some speed, he's got some athleticism, I think even having the mix of Joey Yellen and uh, Braden Shager pulling the football would add another threat or dimension to uh, that zone read option. You know, in terms of how I think they're going to split the quarterback duties, I think that still remain uh, still remain to be seen. But if if you look at it overall, I think Braden Shanker is still uh, the guy. But I think Joe Yellen, I think Cooper could get in the mix. And, um, you know, we'll see. I, I think your guess is as good as mine in this. But if you look at um, – I guess the film and, you know, what you've seen throughout the game tape, I, I still think Braden Shager uh, is going to be the guy moving forward. Mark Veneri joining us here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. You'll hear he and Mark uh, John Veneri tomorrow uh, getting ready for kickoff right around 5.50 tomorrow. Kickoff a few minutes after 6. We'll hear him tonight on ESPN. Uh, actually, you'll be on CBS 1500, I believe, tonight for uh, for high school football. We'll get into that in just a second. Should be outstanding. So, Mark, you talked about the missed tackling. We've all seen that and talked about that. What specific unit? offensively or defensively, do you want to see show improvement more so from last week? Oh, man, I, I think I think two things for me. I think it's a defensive line play and getting some pressure, um, getting uh, the edge guys going like Jonah Kahavai, uh, Kahavai Welch. Um, you know, I, I think the defensive line play needs to put a little bit of pressure. Granted, you know, Vanderbilt was 6'6", 330 across the board. Uh, so, I mean, that's probably one of the biggest lines he's going to face all year. Um, but pressure in the interior, uh, zap, uh, the gap zone contained uh, within that defensive interior. And then I'd also like to see, um, you know, for us, I think it, it better play out of the quarterback because, you know what, mm. it, it really does start and ends with our quarterback play. If we can make those throws, if we can have the opportunities to convert on some big third downs, um, we need a leader. Uh, and right now I, I – don't quite see that yet at the quarterback position. We need a guy that needs to really step up. I think both of them are not your rah-rah type of players and Braden Shager and Joey Yellen, but you do need a commander-in-chief at your quarterback position. And if a guy can step up and a guy can take the reins, um, I think we'll be okay. And, and I think those are the two things that I'm looking for, quarterback play and the defensive interior. What about the wide receiver position as far as the personnel last week? I mentioned earlier how Jonah Pinocchio has just shown improvement every year, had 101 yards last week. What about some of the other receivers besides Jonah and Jalen Walthall, who do you really want to see uh, maybe get even more opportunities tomorrow? Well, I'm glad that Dior Scott's getting an opportunity to start uh, against Western Kentucky because, uh, you know, all camp 
Uh, we've seen him, you know, putting in the work. Uh, we've seen him uh, really just getting a, a lot more opportunities. Another guy, uh, Gray Ihu, as you mentioned earlier, Gray Ihu, uh, one of the speedsters. He's tough. He's strong. Tamatoa Mokiao Atimalala, I'd like to see him get going um, because he also had a good camp. And and I think it starts, you know, I, I always tell everybody, and I tell by even, even going down to being um, – um, a youth football coach. You know, you take five, seven yards. The average play in the NFL is 4.3 yards. In college, it's around five. If you can get five to seven yards on first down, whether it be a quick out, quick slant, quick hitch, you know, just getting some rhythm for our quarterbacks. I even think that will get a rhythm for our receivers as well. And, it, and once you get that ball rolling, you get that confidence going, uh, seeing guys like that on the field will make a big difference uh, come Saturday night. We'll have countdown. The kickoff, of course, starting at 4 p.m. tomorrow, then kickoff right around 6, and John and Mark Finneri on that broadcast starting at about 5.50. That'll be a great game. Tonight, though, as I mentioned earlier, Mark, you've got a really incredible high school football game. 6.45 p.m. on CBS 1500. Our coverage will start with both yourself and Arnold Martinez. It's Bishop Gorman versus St. Louis at Mililani, and these are two of the best high school programs in the country year in and year out. What are your thoughts on tonight's unbelievable matchup well i am excited you know i i think one of the things uh, that i had an opportunity you know really dive in with coach ron lee about you know just getting st louis back back where it needs to be the, the bye is a couple of weeks off and getting a rhythm offensively you know he even said himself they're very 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 young all five offensive linemen have not had varsity game experience until this year uh, Cahey Graham uh, getting into a better rhythm. A better rhythm. They get Jason Peters, uh, Delora back. Uh, that's the brother of Jaden Delora. He'll be back in the lineup. Um, the defense on St. Louis is really good, really tough. Um, and this is a national powerhouse coming through. Uh, Bishop Gorman uh, last week should have won that game against Modern Day, uh, leading 14-0 at one point in the game. And I think, you know, Bishop Gorman, uh, even with that 24-21 loss, had a national title implications still ranked eighth in the country uh, coming into tonight's game. Zachariah Branch, uh, uh, one of the top receivers in the country, uh, will be playing, and he's uh, the, the USC commit. Very uh, very fun, fast, speedy receiver that we'll get to see. Um, so it should be fun out in Mililani, you, you hope. And St. Louis puts on, a, puts on a good show, which I think they will. I think they'll have a good game plan, and um, I think it should be a good one here tonight. The other game that we were talking about before we let you go, I want to get your thoughts on Punahou and Kahuku. Oh, Punahou Kahuku, one versus two. I, I still think, and you know, I think Punahou is uh, getting better each week. I think they uh, are very sound fundamentally. Their offensive line play has been tremendous, uh, with, and then also having John Kiavi Sangapolutele back in quarterback, of course. Um, but Kahuku, I, I just think, is on a completely different level this season and you know who's to say i, I think punahou can come out make some noise they're the number two team uh, i think they're tough but you know at the same sense you know kahuku is it, it just has this mentality that you know hey we're the top dogs uh, they have more to prove they're playing two of the top programs in st francis academy and they're also going to be going against st john bosco as well so i you know i think i still think it's going to be a really good game um, and we'll see right away if, you know, Putahoe can hang uh, with the number one team and the number 25 ranked team in the country. 
Should be a great weekend of sports, football, volleyball, and more. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. We'll look forward to hearing you and Arnold Martinez tonight. And, of course, for Hawaii football, you and Brother John tomorrow at about 5.50. Sounds good. I'll see you tomorrow, Gary. All right. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Mark Veneri joining us here on ESPN Honolulu. What a big weekend it is. A reminder, we have some Rainbow Wahine volleyball tickets for Sunday to give out. I'll do that coming up in just a few minutes. The Department of Health wants to reduce falls and fall-related injuries among our kapuna with these easy steps. Review your medications and get an eye exam annually. Get a personal electronic safety device, and they are important. My mother uses one of those. Uh, Also, at home, remove fall hazards and improve lighting. Very important. And, of course, exercise daily to improve balance and flexibility. This message is brought to you by Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union and ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman here and Tanner Hayworth in our downtown Paxa studios. Coming up after our show at 9 a.m., it's Artie Wilson on point every Friday morning on ESPN Honolulu. Kanoa Leahy, another busy guy, uh, doing volleyball all weekend for Spectrum Sports. He will have Let's Talk Sports at noon. And, of course, Josh Pacheco with the Sports Animals at 3 p.m. today. And then right, well, not right after, he ends at 6. But at 6.50, we'll have Tiff Wells for the pre game festivities as Hawaii going up in the second night of this great tournament for Rainbow Wahine Volleyball and it will be against West Virginia first serve about 7 o'clock. Sunday will be UCLA at 5. In fact let's give out some tickets if you would like to win some volleyball tickets for Sunday's volleyball at 5 o'clock we'll make it pretty simple caller number 3 808-296-1420, and uh, we will have those tickets ready for you. And uh, give us a call. Tanner will let me know when we have a winner. And it should be great. UCLA, always a great opponent, kind of a pretty cool rivalry over the years. And uh, usually here Labor Day weekend for the Outrigger Volleyball Challenge. I mentioned, you know, some of the great sports going on locally where we have UH football tomorrow, the Rainbow Wahine Volleyball, three matches in four days. We've got college football back the first official week in week one and some really great games last week. We talked Major League Baseball in the first hour. Now in September, we're kind of in the uh, – the, the, not really. The, I guess we are in the home stretch, but definitely the playoff spots are that are up for grabs. Either better be grabbed soon, or you're going to be falling off the pace. And we've seen that with a few teams now. Basically, I, I look at nine teams maybe in the AL that have a chance, and I'm including the Chicago White Sox, Baltimore Orioles in there. It's going to be a long shot there. In the NL, probably seven teams, and the six teams make it in each league. But a lot of excitement going on. And if that wasn't enough, and it's never enough for sports fans, but we are satisfied with what we get. We've got the U.S. Open in tennis. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I've ever in all the years we've been doing the show, and we've been on the air about, I think we're in year 17, Chris and I, him bringing up tennis at all, or even on his own, to bring it up about Serena Williams from Wednesday night in round two uh, and the great match beating the number two ranked player. And tonight she's playing. Well, tonight on the East Coast, it'll be a 1 p.m. start. It'll be on ESPN television if you want to watch her in the third round. 40 years old. She's won 23 Grand Slam tournaments already. She is the GOAT, and she is retiring after her next loss. Or I I guess she would have to win about four more in a row to uh, retire after a win if she does win the championship next weekend. So as you would imagine, the tickets for this event are really high. I checked 
on Wednesday at SeatGeek, and there is some ticket. The cheapest one was 561 the upper level. This tennis complex is right next to City Field where the Mets play. On Wednesday, the Mets were playing the Dodgers. It was a sellout, and you had Serena playing same time. I can just imagine the traffic and the parking having both events right there. Uh, it's going to happen again tonight, although the Mets are just playing Washington, so it will not be a sellout. It should be a good crowd. But the tickets, as I said, the cheapest one was 560 That was two days ago. If you do, the, however, for tonight, if you want to get the best seat in the house in Section 101, I don't know exactly where it is except it says an unrestricted view, I would have guessed, 3,000, something like that, maybe four or five. You know, the NBA playoff games go higher than that if you're sitting courtside. But the NBA, I mean, be honest, is more popular than tennis, isn't it? Not price-wise necessarily because if you do want to sit in Section 101 tonight for the U.S. Open and see Serena, 48,500 is the going rate at StubHub. Yes, $48,500. It is pricey. And uh, I guess if you want to sit near Tiger Woods, I'm not sure if he's going to be back there again, but that is crazy. Now, last night, Serena and Venus both played in the doubles, and they both exited. It was the first round of the women's doubles uh, tournament, part of the U.S. Open, and that ticket was still pretty expensive there, 9600 $9,600 to watch the sisters play last night. Venus hasn't said that she's retiring. She's older. I believe she's 42 right now. And she hasn't been, well, I mean, she, she was great coming up when she. they both came up as teenagers. Venus was the better player because she was a little older. Serena had a much better career. Uh, Venus hasn't been as competitive at all in the last several years. So a lot of people think she would retire. But those ticket prices, are you kidding me? Uh, one of the spokesmen for StubHub said that for Wednesday night, two days ago, from when she won the first round on Monday, getting ready for the second round, the ticket prices increased 75%. So if you had like a $500 ticket, which is pretty pricey right then and there, it would basically be about 900 for that same match just going up because of Serena advancing. Uh, other ticket brokers are talking about the, the, the numbers going up where when the tickets went on sale for the U.S. Open, for the women's final, and this is from ticket brokers, uh, it was $768 for the women's final. Probably more so in anticipation that it could be Serena. Now that Serena won the first two rounds, they those $768 tickets have gone up to $1,289. Only, only a 37% markup. Those prices are incredible, but you're going to see, I mean, you're going to see history. I mean, look at the people that were there on Wednesday. I mean, we knew about um, some of the greats there, you know, as we talked about some of the celebrities. Spike Lee was there. Mike Tyson was there. I mean, there were so many famous people there. Ben Stiller, the actor. Uh, I mentioned Spike Lee. Tiger Woods, of course, who they, I saw a clip yesterday where he was walking into the, I don't know if it's the media area or the locker room area with Venus and just having his arm around her, and she said he's been a very he's been very inspirational for her career and kind of a mentor to her when she first started playing tennis. Uh, but anybody who's everybody who can make it is going to this event. Uh, it's pretty cool that the, all those celebrities are there, and they want to witness history. You know, they want to witness, I think, Serena win. And I think 
She's always been a crowd favorite in New York. Most of the Americans, if not all, are favorites in New York. But even everything else about her career and the fact that it's coming to an end, even more so you want to see her go out on that winning note. So that's going to be cool to follow again about 1 o'clock today. And it's called the Serena Effect as far as the ticket brokers. Not only the ticket brokers, ESPN, which owns the rights for the U.S. Open, uh, for Monday night's opener, a very high amount, 3.2 million viewers and that was in addition to two million on digital it was the most watched first round match ever in u.s open history just imagine what the numbers are going to be like tonight anyway we'll take a break and we'll let you know who won the volleyball tickets and get ready to close shop here with the sports animals on the bobby curran show espn honolulu I love this song. It is Narco with Timmy Trumpet. I think somebody else has also collaborated on writing it. This is the walk-up music, I guess you would call it, for closer Edwin Diaz of the New York Mets. And it has really gone viral from a few weeks ago. I think it became more of a national thing, but even more so this week as Timmy Trumpet, as his name goes, uh, from Australia, flew in and showed up at City Field twice uh, to uh, play this song. You can get to play it on Tuesday because the Dodgers had that win, but save opportunity for Edwin Diaz on Wednesday. And that song went viral. I don't think any other baseball player would use that. You can't. But I wouldn't be surprised if other sports teams use it. I I like some of those intro themes. If you go to a basketball or a hockey game or even football and you have these songs played, uh, I think it's really cool. And for Rainbow Wahine Volleyball, I didn't realize this was every match. I don't usually get there early enough, especially when we were on the air till 6. But Hawaii 78 by Brother Is is their music when they come on to the court for pregame warm-ups. I saw Tiff texting that yesterday, which is a fantastic song. So I just wanted to put that song out there. And now it'll be maybe stuck in your head like myself and Tanner. Hey, uh, we're going to be off on Labor Day, of course. But I want to give a heads up because next Wednesday, of course, at 8 a.m., it's the Rivals Fantasy Football Show on ESPN Honolulu. We do it every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Your chance to win some great prizes. And uh, next Wednesday, we will have, first of all, Jeff Erickson from Rotowire com one of the best biz uh he will be joining us as our national expert and next week it's going to be you'll be getting ready for week one of the nfl of course so you're going to really maybe uh need some help for your lineup make some decisions he will help you with that and our giveaway will be an aaron jones authentic autograph photo so uh listen in when starting at 8 a.m next wednesday rivals fantasy football show presented by rival sports bar and lounge and the malia by outrigger in waikiki we thank them for giving us some great giveaways and sponsoring the show somebody just texted me wow that William Contreras of the Braves uses narco for his walk-up music wow I would think especially in the same sport I don't know if people use the same walk-up song uh maybe it's different because it's a pitcher versus a a, uh, batter but I did not know that but thank you for that text that is pretty interesting also want to let you know we do have a winner 
for the Rainbow Wahine Volleyball tickets, and that is coming up for a Sunday's match against UCLA. And we've got Polly, that's his name, Polly from Honolulu, won those tickets for Sunday at 5 p.m. A reminder, we'll have high school football tonight at 6.45. Bishop Gorman and St. Louis being played at Mililani. Mark Veneri and Coach Arnold Martinez on the call on CBS 1500. Coverage starting again 6.45. At 6.50 right here on ESPN Honolulu, we will have Rainbow Wahine Volleyball, uh, second match of the Outrigger Challenge, and they will have West Virginia with head coach Rec, uh, Reed Sunahara. Son Rex was a long snapper uh, in the NFL for just a little while at West Virginia before that, and and uh, Reed Sunahara, great basketball player at Hilo High. I remember him when I lived in Hilo, and uh, he, he was uh, one of the best players in the state, got hurt before the state tournament that year and never got to finish his career, unfortunately, in the court. But national champion at UCLA in volleyball and now doing a great job at West Virginia. Tomorrow we start our UH football coverage at 4 p.m. with Josh Pacheco and Arnold Martinez. Count down the kickoff from 4 to about 5.50 and then Mark and John Venneri taking over for the broadcast, hopefully getting a win over Western Kentucky. We'll have the fans' voice, of course, to follow that as well. Uh, about the walk-up music, we're getting some text on this, and I know this is a great choice. Somebody writes in, Best walk-up song, the Enter Sandman for Mariano Rivera, Lights Out, he says. Somebody on YouTube, I forget which sports company, whether it was USA Today or ESPN, they had the top five walkout songs from a pitcher. And Mariano's, I believe, was number two. Uh, the Wild Thing from the movie Major League was number three. Edwin Diaz was only number four. And I apologize. I'm going to try to find it before we wrap it up here. But there was a number one that surprised me. But I know Mariano's Rivera's one by a lot of people was considered maybe the best one. I, I think it's cool for the sport. Uh, and when you're there, it's even, you know, it really livens up the crowd even more, which makes it even better. And, you know, on TV, it might translate. For Edwin Diaz, the, the, the video was just perfect and you could really hear the crowd and the announcers it just made it really really cool so i think that was something that a lot of people really got captivated by so just wanted to throw that out there uh it, i do have the top five somewhere on my youtube videos favorites but i can't pull it up right now to find out which uh one was number one uh and here it is thank you for the text this is from jerry it was uh held bells by trevor hoffman that was number one. Trevor Hoffman actually appeared on our show many, many years ago when he was a, one of the best closers in baseball. I believe he's a Hall of Famer uh, with the San Diego Padres. But you're right, it was Trevor Hoffman's walk-up music. And, uh, yeah, some great ones. And it just creates a good atmosphere. I really do like it. Some people might think that it's artificial noise. You don't need that for sporting events. But some of that stuff really pumps you up a lot, and more so when you're there. But uh, some of the one does translate on radio and or TV. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank Tanner for doing a great job for helping out today. Coming up right after this, it'll be Artie Wilson and On Point from 9 to 10. Again, Kanoa Leahy at 12 with Let's Talk Sports. And then Josh from 3 to 6 with the Sports Animals and Rainbow Wahine Volleyball coming up right after that. Hope to see a great crowd out there tomorrow at Clarence T.C. Ching Complex, hopefully for a victory for the first one for Timmy Chang for Hawaii football. Have a great rest of the weekend and enjoy Labor Day. We'll talk to you for the Bobby Current Show next Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Aloha.